And welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. I am Eric Landstrom, and today we hop in that white Hummer to head back to September 1999 in World Championship Wrestling. Other volumes of the show this month include the WWF and its Unforgiven pay-per-view. Yes, Rory, I looked it up this time. And ECW with Anarchy Rules, the feature on that show. I'm first uh, joined today by a returning, making his long-awaited return uh, to the show, Devinder Vargas. Devinder, welcome back, sir. What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for having me back. It's good to be back. It's been a long time. And uh, Bob Calling, not so long for you. How are you, my friend? I'm hanging in there. I'm, hanging uh, in there. I'm doing all right. Uh, this month for WCW was uh, quite a whirlwind of emotions, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. If you, if you say anything about WCW... Uh, you can't complain that there's not at least a lot going on at the same time. Exactly. Uh, so a uh, quick reminder before we get started here, jam-packed show, so we're not going to leave anything on the table. We are on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. I hear there's a certain uh, wrestling show from a certain casino in the American South uh, pertaining to f- certain heroes uh, coming up in the next couple of months, uh, rumors are swirling. Look for that on Patreon or on our main feed if our uh, Lord and Savior Rory is feeling generous. Uh, that's enough colloquy. Uh, Devinder Vargas, you have some news headlines for me, sir. Kiss New Year's Evil goodbye. Yes, and the planned and tortured New Year's Eve supercard and Kiss concert is dead in the water as of the end of September. The purported New Year's Evil special was set to piggyback on a kiss on Kiss's recent Nitro appearance, but problems began when the roster and production staff complained about the heavy workload over the holidays. Between Starcade on the 19th of December, this show on the 31st, and the January 2000 pay-per-view, there was even talk of a walkout by wrestlers and staff. So instead, and with Eric Bischoff's departure, which will be a thread throughout this show. The special was simply canceled. 
roster update or these are the days of our lives. Yes, time for the monthly roll call for the WCW roster. I advise the listener to take out a pen and paper and maybe a calculator for this next bit of news. Randy Savage started the month at a contractual standstill with WCW. He's concerned about the directionless WCW and gen- the lack of direction in WCW in general, including the lack of control he has over his character because of the haphazard booking. His contract expires in January 2000, and it's looking ever more probable he jumps back to the WWF. Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. will not be jumping to the WWF after re-upping with WCW. They wanted to go to the Fed but worries about uh, that dreaded non-compete clause uh, seen with Raven recently compelled them to stay. Conan, Hack, who we know as the Sandman, and Public Enemy all called Paul Heyman about coming to ECW. Heyman rejected all of them. Heyman thinks Conan is a locker room menace, and he has feuds with the Sandman and Public Enemy related to their acrimonious departures from ECW. Oh boy, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are rumored to be either imminent for a return or months away from returning depending on who you read on which day let's appreciate how decent nitro has been with them gone and a couple more here berlin alex wright was vocal about jumping to the wwf until ddp convinced him to stay under the promise of a push yes ddp is a heel ddp is said to have given similar assurances to kidman disco inferno and canyon More so, you'll hear there is an ongoing Nitro Girls search segment occurring weekly on Nitro. Despite this, it appears the Nitro Girls are being pulled from the air. This is so WCW. They aren't getting along, and Kimberly Page is said to be the instigator of the problems. And in the big finish, massive releases on the underneath portion of the card, including Mikey Whipwreck, Cyclope, Damian, Super Callow, Swole, Chase Tatum, 4x4, Scott Putzke, and Chastity. Rest in peace, Brian Hiddlebrand. And a change of uh, tone here, uh, Brian Hiddlebrand, unfortunately, uh, well, not unfortunately, fortunately known as referee Mark Curtis, but unfortunately passed away on September 8th at the age of 37 after a, a two-year battle with stomach cancer. Hiddlebrand worked in various capacities in the 1980s and hooked up with Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain in 1992. By all accounts, uh, Curtis was Cornette's top lieutenant throughout the entirety of the Smoky Mountain run. Hiddlebrand, of course, spent the last several years as a top and very recognizable referee in WCW, notably choking out a much larger fan who hit the ring square on the hard camera on Nitro, one of the stiffest spots in the history of Nitro. Hiddlebrand, by all accounts, was about the nicest guy the wrestling business has ever known. Easy E evicted. Yes. Eric Bischoff was removed as president on the 10th of September after a meeting with Turner boss Harvey Schiller. Bischoff was under pressure to turn around the financial attendance and ratings fortunes for WCW. When it became obvious he wasn't turning the ship around, it was reported WCW lost $8 million over the last two months alone. Bischoff was let go. Bill Bush, a 38-year-old Turner executive and former right-hand man to Eazy-E, was installed as president. Bush's management style is said to be communicative and open-minded, frankly the opposite of the bulldogish Bischoff. Bush's immediate charge is to stop the bleeding. Booking will be handled by some combination of 
Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Kevin Sullivan, Dusty Rhodes, Craig Leathers, and Annette Yothers. Yikes. We will certainly discuss uh, more on the Eric Bischoff side of things, and we'll do that to close the show. And finally, Fall Brawl 1999 took place on September 13th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. In the main event, Sting won the WCW World title from Hulk Hogan and turned heel to the cheers of the Crockett Country crowd. The busy card saw wins for the Filthy Animals, Lenny Lane, the First Family, Rick Steiner, Berlin, Harlem Heat, Sid, and Goldberg. And so we'll certainly talk about Eric Bischoff and Fall Brawl later on the show. Uh, Bob, anything catch your ear other than those two? Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, Mikey Whipwreck, Sam and Public Enemy, um, either leaving or uh, seeing, either getting fired or seeing if they can head back to ECW is an interesting um, little piece of news for me personally to start off with. Uh, Whipwreck, I felt like, never really got a, a fair share or a fair shot in uh, WCW. And it's kind of disappointing that it really lasted about five or six months and he wasn't highlighted in a positive way uh, for much of anything. So that's unfortunate. I can definitely see the Sandman going back uh, to ECW or hack as you were to say it. Uh, I can see him going back there, but I'm kind of glad like from what was described here that uh, Paul Heyman kind of refuted them or at least public enemy for sure to kind of stand up for his company. Like you can't just bail on us like twice because the public enemy did this earlier in 99 earlier this year. So um, I'm kind of glad that Heyman's not just going to take anybody back. It seems like Uh, all the roster updates. I'm really glad they're getting rid of people that serve no purpose for the company. Uh, Half those people that you've mentioned, I don't even know if I've seen them on nitro in the last two years let alone Saturday night. I mean, it's just kind of r- absolutely ridiculous, the amount of people they have that they don't even truly need. Um, and then uh, with uh, Hillenbrand, I mean, it's it's a sad uh, series of events for him. Uh, you know, having seen him in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and just his overall presentation, the facials that he would make during matches really kind of added to uh, WCW programming that maybe not a lot of people have noticed or even realized uh, through the years. So I think he not only as a person, but also as a performer will be greatly missed. And it's truly sad that he passed away at such a young age. Uh, Obviously, I mean, we'll talk about Eric Bischoff later on. So I'll probably save my thoughts on any of that. Um, But yeah, that kind of where I stand for any of this, uh, the news here in September. Yeah. As a, as a, as a known Smoky Mountain loyalist, uh, you're probably more familiar with Brian Hillbrand's work than pretty much any of the other contributors on the show, I would imagine. You know, really, his legacy is probably going to be WCW referee for the casual fan, but for the for the real hardcores, he's going to go down as one of the true uh, everymen uh, in the business. Absolutely. Um, uh, Devinder Vargas, uh we discussed uh, the imminent return of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. I think right. that Ni- I think that Nitro has been pretty good without them. Do you think that their return can be anything but disaster for this uh, on-screen? Depending on the personalities in the back, because uh, just like Bob mentioned how Paul Heyman is very steadfast in his decision, there has to be somebody to put the foot down and not lay down for these guys, you know? Um, not saying that they're not great performers. It's just stuff backstage that goes on that may hinder the product, 
you know, and uh, you're right about Nitro being good. It has been good. It's It's been enjoyable and watchable and not oversaturated with some characters. But um, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But in my personal opinion, I think it could be a little not not the word disaster, but it could take away from the product. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, a little bit early to talk about uh, the returns of Hall and Nash because, as you will hear, uh, after this uh, Nitro recap, there's been a couple of other big uh, returns, starting with the return of the Hitman, Bret Hart. Nitro on the 6th of September opens in Miami, Florida, and Bret Hart opens the show, making his return to WCW. We will discuss Bret's comments on the main show. Hype for Hogan and Sting, and we learn Ricky Rockman, who's an American DJ, is hosting an eight-week contest to find a new Nitro girl. Lodi vs. Evan Courageous ends when Vampiro and the ICP mesmerize Evan into taking Lodi's DDT for the three. Gene brings out Hulk Hogan, Hulk doesn't know what Flexi Lexi is scamming, brother, but this thing is between Hulk and the Stinger. Hogan denies driving the white Hummer. Hogan says he's here to kick some ass. Tony says to tune in next week to find out how to become a millionaire by watching Nitro and Thunder. Barry Green, I'm sorry, Barry Horowitz versus Al Green, not that it matters, is a match set up for Sid as a piano player lowers from the ceiling. Sid emerges and the piano plays Sid taking out Barry and Al. Sid says nobody is taking him seriously. He says Benoit will suffer because Sid needs the best win record in WCW. The West Texas Rednecks, without Bobby Duncan, are considering Vincent for a spot on the team. The Harlem Heat are out with Gene, and in fall brawl it's going to be Harlem Heat versus the West Texas Rednecks, or as Stevie calls him, three fruit booties, brother, for the tag titles. Sting and Luger confront Hulk and Brett backstage. Sting wants five minutes alone with Hogan, but back from break, Sting is laid out. Lex blames Hulk. There's a 12-man battle royal with convoluted rules. The final two in the ring will face off later tonight for a shot at the world title. Johnny Swinger versus Prince Ayukea is interrupted by the returning ICP and Vampiro. Swinger has cost the match. ICP and Vampiro corner Prince and say he owes them for helping them pick up the W. Berlin interrupts a Buff Bagwell autograph signing. Next, Steve Regal versus Bagwell ends with the blockbuster. Buff takes the mic and calls out Berlin. Juventud Guerrero, Blitzkrieg, and Psychosis versus Kidman, Chavo, and Eddie. The ICP and Vampiro emerge for a third time. This is an entertaining match with no obvious rules that the faces win. Gene talks to Berlin. He's got a security guard and a sexy interpreter. Because they were the last two guys in the Battle Royal earlier tonight, Benoit and Dean square off. The predictably good match is interrupted when Sid interferes. Sid walks out. We go to a break, and the match is apparently a no contest. There's 10 minutes left in the show when a cage lowers for Hogan and Goldberg versus Sid, Rick Steiner, and DDP. On his way to the ring, the Jersey Triad attacks Goldberg, which allows Sid, Rick, and DDP to attack Hogan. The crowd chants, we want Brett. Goldberg gets in the cage and cleans house. Sting and Lex approach, which allows the faces to take over. During this melee, Hogan pins DDP. In the ring, 
Sting confronts, I'm sorry, Lex confronts Sting for helping Hogan. You try to keep it straight. Luger then attacks Sting, and we go off the air. You know, I had this crazy idea just to come down to Miami, Florida. Hey, this is the best place for me to make a big surprise, and I'm so glad to be here. personally think I've been sitting at home for too long and I've been sitting at home and thinking and thinking and thinking too much and I finally realized that I came to the WCW to make a big difference and I've waited and I've waited and I've waited and the one thing that's eluded me all the time since I've been in the WCW is one thing and I can't make up my mind about coming back full-time and being on the circuit all the time until I can have this one single question answered And this isn't about titles this isn't about anything like that this is something based on just pride and principles and believing in yourself so I'm gonna ask the promoters of the WCW and I'd like the fans everywhere across the United States and the rest of the world to consider this one little wish or dream of mine. I want to fight Hulk Hogan. Wow! I can't make up my mind about anything till I get this one single match. And it doesn't have to be a title, but it'd sure be sweet if it was. But Hulk Hogan, I don't think anybody disputes that he's maybe the greatest of all time. But I gotta know. So I want everybody in the WCW to know one thing, that I won't. And I can't come back until I get that one match. Thank you very much. So you will have heard that Bret Hart is back, and he's both aligned with and has challenged Hulk Hogan. Bobby Heenan kept hinting at dissension between these guys, but didn't go into their past history. Uh, It didn't seem like Tony Schiavone was in the loop on that. Uh, For the unaware, Hulk Hogan refused to put over Bret Hart in 1993 when Hulk was leaving the Fed. Brett has not shied away from speaking publicly about his dislike for Hogan. But now, at least for now, they're the top, uh, top two or two of three faces uh, on Nitro each week. Um, Bob, uh, you know, for us smart marks here, Brett and Hogan aligned. This just seems a little strange. Yeah, I'm not really uh, liking the attempt here to make Brett interesting or any or anything of that matter. The fact that he's been here uh, for almost two years and you haven't had a pay-per-view singles match between him and Hogan is borderline baffling to me. I know they had one last year and turned into be a, <clears throat> you know, a schmaz and a, and a trick or whatever. But, uh, you know, he, he came out and he says, you know, he wants, he wants Hogan. That's the match that he's always wanted. Um, again, I think I've mentioned this a couple of months ago, you know, this would have worked six months ago. 
or uh, six years ago in 1993 when Brett, in terms of television exposure, is younger. You know, it's leading a new movement. You're here in WCW where, you know, it's old guys, essentially, for the most part, in the main event scene. And, and I, for me, Brett's kind of lumped into that. You know, his ability is significantly better than the majority of those men. But uh, I think that Hogan versus Brett hasn't aged. The idea of it hasn't aged uh, nearly as well as maybe WCW thinks. And this booking committee, now that uh, you know Bischoff is gone, uh, and if Hogan's leading the charge on that, I can't imagine a Hogan-Brett match remotely going the way that Brett would want it to go. You know, you and you look at Brett, and he's still presumably one of the top workers, but we haven't really seen much of him in the ring that I can remember anything memorable over his WCW span, save for a match here or there with Ric Flair and maybe a couple of others. For him to carry a Hogan, who, after watching Hogan versus Sting this month, Hogan looks even glacially slower than he has over the last two years. I don't see that being a very good match at all. But Devinder, this does seem to be funneling to that final battle between Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. Do you think it's too late or is this still going to draw? The money can be made. Storyline-wise, the way you write the story, the the promos, everything, you can sell it. But when the time comes and the match hits, it's going to flop. Yeah, I'm I'm... I'm just as concerned about that uh, as you are. Anyway, so that uh, is our essentially our go home to Fall Brawl 1999, which took place on the 12th of the month. Bob, do you have the results for Fall Brawl, please? That I do. Ray Mysterio Jr., Eddie Guerrero, and Billy Kidman defeated Vampiro and the Insane Clown Posse in a six-man tag team match. WCW Cruiserweight Champion Lemmy Lane defeated Kaz Hayashi to retain the title. In a no-disqualification match, the first family, consisting of Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs, defeated the Revolution, which was consisting of Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas. WCW Television Champion Rick Steiner defeated Perry Saturn to retain the championship. Berlin defeated Jim Duggan, who was replacing Buff Bagwell. The the team known as Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray defeated the West Texas Rednecks, consisting of Barry Windham and Kendall Windham, to win the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Sid Vicious defeated WCW United States Champion Chris Benoit to win the championship. Goldberg defeated Diamond Dallas Page. And in your main event, Sting defeated Hulk Hogan to win the WCW World Championship. Devinder, what were your initial thoughts on this show? Um, when does it end? <laughs> Savage. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, a lot of these guys, okay, look, for me, and it goes with all sports, for me, if you're on TV, you're talented. That's what I believe. Nobody's going to waste their money on somebody. That, that, that statement right there can be argued, but... Um, a lot of these guys didn't deserve the matches that they were in, um, minus, you know, Sting, Hogan, uh, you know, Saturn, Rick Steiner tried their best. Um, Jim Duggan, uh, why? Um, it, it was uh, it was all over the place. It really, the only thing that 
brought it. To, I was just waiting for the main event to tell you the truth. That's and Goldberg DDP. You know that was a uh, good semi, but uh, that was it for me. And everything else was forgotten in every sense of the word. Bob, are you a savage on the show as Devinder? Uh, well, no. Going into it, I actually kind of had. I'm going to say this. I get borderline high expectations. And I want us just to take it from an on, on paper type of visual here, not the end result. You go into this and you're saying you got Sting and Hogan as your main event. You know, I think considering their issues over the ca- past couple of years, there's maybe a level of draw on that, a level of interest. Uh, as previous previously noted, I mean, Devinder was interested in that match probably based off of what was going on in, in the past and their marquee names. You have Goldberg and DDP. Last year at Halloween Havoc, they had a really great match. You know, arguably Goldberg's best match ever. So you're going into Fall Brawl thinking, hey, who knows? Who knows could happen there? An interesting dynamic with Benoit and Sid Vicious. Sid's been a heel on the run. You know, he's been dominating and, and Benoit's, you know, seemingly on the rise. An interesting dynamic and see how that works out. And then for me, really, the last thing that I was intrigued with was the revolution to kind of piggyback off on Benoit on Benoit here, because this could be heading into it, a beginning of a new era is what they were kind of saying, even back into June, this whole young versus old type of thing. And so going into that, I'm thinking this could maybe be the turning of the page that WCW greatly needs to freshen up, and maybe to get back into a competitive battle with the WWF. And as we've seen on the show, that did not quite happen. I'm going to put this here up front. I know normally we don't give our this much of a chat about it ahead of time, but I like the show. So sue me. Um, so we open uh, with a highlight package to open the show. Who's telling the truth? Hogan, Sting, Lex. Tony Schiavone welcomes us to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's with Mike Tanay and the Brain. The boys hype the main event and throw to a package for our opening match. And we cut straight to the filthy animals comprised of Ray Mysterio Jr., Eddie Guerrero, and Billy Kidman taking on the team of Vampiro and the insane clown posse, which of course is, and I looked this up, Shaggy 2 Dope and Violent J. The underlying issue is that Vampiro doesn't think uh, Eddie and uh, Ray are real Mexicans, basically. Um, and this is a rematch in part from last month. Uh, so there's house show stalling pre-bell. Tanay does try his best to get the ICP over as credible wrestlers. And it's really strange seeing Ray without his mask. So ultimately, Shaggy 2-Dope locks up with Kidman, and Shaggy gains the advantage with punches and kicks. Kidman sells for Shaggy, but turns the table with stomps. But Shaggy gains the advantage again, and Shaggy takes a long time on Kidman here. Eddie taunts the heels and pounds on Shaggy. And we get a swan dive from Ray. The action picks up. Violent J is in against Ray Mysterio. He's got about 80 pounds on him. The referee in this match is easily distracted. And this first allows the heels to double and triple team Ray. Ray takes over and hit the bronco, hits the Bronco Buster on Vampiro. I will say this. There have been much worse performers in WCW than the ICP. They're okay. The pace slows for Kidman and Vampiro. The heels double team team kidman and that pesky ref is back again shaggy in and he hits a nice power slam and tony acknowledges it they're really trying hard to get the icp over some more stuff happens and the heels are working over ray 
Ray takes the advantage and it gets the hot tag to Eddie. Eddie runs wild on Vampiro. Vampiro gets the advantage back with a nice-looking back kick. Shaggy then attempts an Alabama jam on Eddie that misses by a mile, and poor Eddie sells it anyway. Kidman intercepts Shaggy. Things are starting to break down here. Kidman then ultimately gets the shooting star press right into Vampiro's face for the three out of nowhere. Uh, The Sheets reported Vampiro suffered a broken nose, a cracked bone in his eye, and a loose tooth from that uh, shooting star press. The heels got 80% of the match, but the faces win. Bob, what are your thoughts on this uh, wild and kind of convoluted opening match? I liked it. I thought um, the Insane Clown Posse didn't do too much. They did seemingly an an adequate amount to uh, look viable in there. Uh, I think it certainly helps considering their opponents being Ray Kidman and Guerrero. I mean, I'm sure they know how to kind of lead them along. And Vampiro, uh, I feel like, got most of the shine out of the group. I know that, um, I believe it's Shaggy doing the uh, the attempted leg drop off the top would have been, uh, you know, a cool spot for him had he not, uh, you know, missed it by a good foot or so. But um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good tempo. Um, and for the most part, everybody looked uh, good coming out of it, which exceeded my expectations. I didn't think going into this that the Insane Clown Posse or a match involving them uh, would have actually held my interest. Um but I was puzzling surprised to start off this pay-per-view. Devinder, what are your thoughts? Um, The ICP are marketable guys. They are, and uh, they tried their best, and I can't really ask for anything but that. It was all right. It was was an entertaining first match, and the crowd was pretty hot. Um, Vampiro taking the pin, I would have had somebody else take the pin uh, if they're trying to make something out of him. Uh, It was weird. See, I'm, I'm still not used to seeing Ray without his mask. It's just strange. Um, I just felt like Eddie Guerrero didn't get his, uh, his time. They were hot for him. The crowd was loving that guy, but they, I, um, I don't think he got enough time. And I think the, I think one member of the insane clown posse should have taken the pin, but it was an entertaining match. Um, it was a good match to start off with and keep the crowd interested and invested into the, in the event. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. This was a match that far exceeded any expectations that I had going into it, even if maybe Eddie Guerrero and to a lesser extent, Ray Mysterio were pushed to the background a little bit, but the faces get the win. Um, yeah, I think everybody looked good here. Uh, so backstage, the revolution is on WCW.com. Saturn guarantees the revolution will win all of its matches tonight. We'll see. We recap Lenny Landon winning the cruiserweight title. Uh, Lenny, uh, or, I'm sorry, Tanae calls Lenny and Lodi two guys who care a lot about each other. And uh, shout out to John at Cockamamie's uh, Collectible Shop. That one's for you, Rory. <gasps> oh, oh, look, look, a TV guide owned by Jackie O. Oh, you should see the crossword puzzle. She thought that Mindy lived with Mark. Give her a break. Her husband was killed. Oh, I know. Wasn't that awful? Hi, I'm John. Can I help you with anything? And it's right to Lenny Lane, the cruiserweight champion, taking on challenger Kaz Hayashi. For the belt, Lenny and Lodi are announced from West Hollywood, California, which for us West Coast people, uh, this is a thinly veiled gimmick. The announcers do them no favors. Uh, Lenny takes advantage early and pounds Kaz. 
And then this match just kind of goes and goes and goes for a while. But ultimately, Kaz hits a great dive onto the floor to take out both heels. Kaz works over Lenny. Lenny reverses a something and plants Kaz in the face on the mat. This was a match where they needed to slow down a little bit at times. Lenny slows the pace. There we go and hits Hogan-style back rakes. He poses. Kaz plants Lenny into the middle turnbuckle, but it's short-lived. Lenny with the sexy pin for a two. Um, this is kind of like uh, the Harlem Heat at Sturgis-type crowd, but it's Carolina with Lenny and Lodi. Uh, Lenny out, and Kaz hits another dive, and Tony calls it a spectacular high dive, and he was right. But in the final third of the match, Kaz flips out of a German suplex and gets a really tight 2.9 on the roll-up. Lenny hits a bulldog for response. He gets a two. And both men are down after Kaz hits a belly-to-back suplex. Kaz sets Lenny up on the top rope, but is met with resistance. Kaz works Lenny into a running Liger bomb. That looked nice, but Lodi, uh, Lodi put Lenny's feet on the rope for a two. Kaz to the top for a Huracan Rana for a two. Mm-hmm. Kaz works a victory roll for a two. Up to the top rope. The referee is distracted again. Lodi on the apron. Kaz nails Lodi, and Lenny rolls up Kaz, but only gets a two. But then Lenny hits his full Nelson Buster finisher for the three. The newly newly ordained West Hollywood Blondes celebrate in the ring. Devinder, did you like this cruiserweight match? Um, I think I think I did. Oh, I'm not gonna say I think I did. I, I it's just it's hard to um because the crowd wasn't into this match, and I didn't I didn't see them get into it. I, I there was some crazy near falls, and um. It was just the uh, and uh, to me the uh, the gimmick that Lenny and Lodi are doing. It made the crowd chant some derogatory, disrespectful stuff, and I guess I, I guess that that's what put me off to the match. But the performance itself, it was okay. Um, the near falls was what got me got me, but it was it was a very passable match for me. Um, I just think that uh, Hayashi uh, could have done much better though. I agree with you. You know, this was a match that really built to the last third. They were kind of just going through the motions until they they hit their go home uh, sequences, and that was very entertaining. And, and yeah, I, I, the gimmick is the gimmick is, uh, you know, it's meant to be. I guess it's meant to be inflammatory. I guess that that's WCW knowing its crowd. And you know, like I said in the review, yeah, this was heat, but it wasn't always the kind of heat that you want to see. It kind of ugly heat at times with these guys, depending on uh, what towns they go on. Uh, Bob, piggyback on anything uh, we said and give us your thoughts on the match. Well, I I kind of enjoy this Lenny and Lodi uh, character uh, just because it, it, it's something that WCW, I feel like, may have attempted to do in the past. And that, like with like Johnny B. Bad, like very early on, he had that type of persona. Yes. Um, but like now they're kind of like tiptoeing to a more risque type of character it, it, it certainly comes across more comedic to me it doesn't come across like a serious you know insulting way of 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 people that they're trying to portray uh, homosexual characters um but I, I i i kind of enjoy it it makes me i feel entertained when they're when they're on on camera uh, as for this match um it was pretty solid. I mean, sure, they were going through the motions for most of it, and like you mentioned, the closing uh, closing sequence was the best part of it. I completely agree with that. Um, my whole thing here is uh, 
I don't know if this match really gives the impression that Lenny is a person they're trying to uh, invest in. And I'm saying that because anytime that you have a cruiserweight title match on pay-per-view for WCW, I think us as fans were thinking maybe would, we would see somebody from the previous match in there, like a Ray Kidman or Eddie or a Dean Malenko or Hooventude or anything of that, of that nature. And if you tune into this and you see Lenny Lane and Kaz Hayashi, you're probably wondering what what has gone on to have that happen. Last I knew, Kaz Hayashi wasn't necessarily presented in a strong manner on television uh, for the months leading into this to begin with. So it kind of c- comes across as a weaker championship match. Uh, I thought Hayashi did very well uh, in this match, and his offense was done very well. Same thing with Lenny. Uh, and it was a it was a good. It's a I can't even say it's really a good win for Lenny because, again, it's not like a high-profiled challenger. I mean, this is a guy that did defeat uh, Rey Mysterio on a Thunder, so he does have a credible win. I I think a stronger opponent here for Lenny uh, would have done him and Lodi uh, a better service. But uh, a fine undercard match, just when you, again, when you think of a Cruiserweight title match, you're thinking, you know, balls of the wall, huge high-flying moves, and high energy and uh for here just it didn't really play out that way and i think a lot of that has to do with lenny's style he doesn't really necessarily fit the high flying style that the cruiserweight division has been more accustomed to no he's you're absolutely right he's a smaller guy but he definitely works more of a traditional uh, uh, main event or or main roster style ground-based attack slow segmented for television uh he's definitely uh cut his chops in wcw you can tell i love the gimmick i think it's amazing mm-hmm. i it's you know they're heels for obvious reasons um just because that's how uh, heels are presented on television unfortunately uh, i think ultimately if they get over far enough it's going to be an, a great face turn and uh, you know i get vibes of like 86 87 adrian adonis really obviously much different physical condition but this this is taking me back to adorable Adrian, and I, I really dig it every week more so than I did Johnny B. Bad or any other stabbed at this type of homosexual character that they that they've done. You know, I wish it wasn't the heat magnet that it is, but it is, and the fact that Lenny and Lodi are going all the way, you know, forward with it, they've really bought into the gimmick. It, it's one of the more entertaining features of Nitro and Thunder uh, every week. I thought the match was good, but I agree with your sentiments that. Um, sentiments that uh, somebody else probably should have been in the spot and we move on gene interviews sting sting says lex is very close from losing sting's friendship if luger interferes in the main event sting will make luger pay sting says he thinks hogan's on the up and up sting has no problems with hulk and i'm just going to insert some commentary here that these guys have been feuding for two straight years but now they trust each other anyway it's members of the first family, Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs, with Jimmy Hart, taking on members of the Revolution, Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas, in a no-disqualification tag match. The match is immediately a Pier 6 brawl. Brian Nobbs, uh, Brian sell, uh, Brain sells the team of Nobbs uh, and Hugh Morris. Easy for me to say. Let me try that again. Brain sells the team of Nobbs and Hugh Morris, yes, preposterously under the guidance of Jimmy Hart, that they are a tag team on the rise. But at least they're trying. Shane nails Hugh with the stairs. Nobbs hit Shane with something. Back in the ring, ring Shane and Nobbs battle. 
Nobbs hits a clothesline, and after a short ball outside, this settles into a pretty basic tag match. It's a pity party on Shane, who fires up in response to take out the whole family. And now it's Dean up against Nobbs, but an eye poke allows for the tag to Hugh Morris. Dean works the wrist, and Shane comes in. He does his reverse neck snap move, quick tags, and eventually Shane suffers some sort of injury uh, to his arm that was later reported as a bicep tear. It became very obvious, and maybe the finish was even uh, moved up because of it. But anyway, the finish comes. Nobbs misses a second rope, nothing. There's a hot tag to Dean. Nobbs hits, hits the deck, and Jimmy Hart, who had been interfering throughout the match, goes down again. That allows Nobbs to trip Dean from the floor. And Hugh Morris hits a big elbow and the top rope moonsault for the surprise three count on Dean Malenko. Yes, you heard that right. Hugh Morris pins Dean Malenko for the three. Bob, I would call that an upset. What about you? Uh, it is an upset, and I was greatly upset that it happened. I thought uh, you might be. Yeah. Uh, first off, though, I, if you're if you're a babyface, for the love of God, please know what town you're in. Especially if you're on a microphone, you're going to play to the crowd. Shane Douglas thought they were in Saginaw, Michigan. So he must have been stuck on the last Thunder taping. <laughs> you read my notes for the next talking point. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he <laughs> he needs to remember where he is at. And that probably didn't help with the crowd uh, you know, caring about this match. But all right, so let me just go on a little bit of a rant here. Um, you have with these guys, the Revolution cut a promo earlier in the in the show saying they're going to clean sweep it win every single match and you have Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas taking on Hugh Morris and Brian Knobs. Hugh Morris has of any substance has done absolutely nothing in WCW for 4 years for the most part. He hasn't won any championships really any high profile feuds, nothing. He was in the Dungeon of Doom for like 2 years and that was when they were forgettable. Brian Knobs is pretty much nothing without Jerry Sags. And we have them all in a in a group. So you're investing in guys like Malenko, Douglas, Saturn, and Benoit. And you have them lose a no disqualification match, which, mind you, they didn't really even play up to the gimmick here, the stipulation. It was just basic brawling, nothing monumental. Um, the <laughs> The finish here, I was flabbergasted. That <laughs> that an elbow drop, a standing elbow drop, stuns Dean Malenko to a point where he's flopping like a fish in the middle of the ring, stalling for time because Hugh Morris climbs the top rope, plays to the crowd for what seemed like 10 to 15 seconds, and then proceeded to hit the moonsault and got the clean win in the middle of the ring on Dean Malenko. WCW, this committee of people... This is the stuff right here that would have me extremely concerned about the direction moving forward. To have a babyface group that you're trying to promote as the next coming, you know, the new millennium group of guys to lead your company, to have them lose this match is just incredibly just idiotic to me. I don't know why on earth Hugh Morris and Brian Knobs Hugh Morris and Brian Knobs are getting a, a push over guys like Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas I just I'm not feeling it at all it was this like the first two matches were were pretty solid and this happens to me and it's just like like whiplash like I'm back to where like I'm actually like watching WCW and I'm reminded 
that these guys are just inept in terms of making smart booking decisions. This seems like the, uh, the obvious show to where you just started to rebuild, and they're just like, no, we're going to go 15 steps back. I mean, I I personally hated it. The, the action wasn't all that great to begin with for me. Uh, but like this, the fin- it could have been the greatest match ever, and the finish that they did here would have taken me out of it. So I, I personally didn't like it. You know, live up, have something you know extreme happen in a no DQ match to to justify it. To you know, hit him with a trash can off the top or something like that's something Brian Nobbs would have done. And instead, they a simple elbow drop to the chest, and then the moons. I mean, no, I I I'm not a fan of it. And to me, right here, if you know, tuning into Nitro, and I know this is happening, the Revolution to me, even as a group, but certainly Malenko and Douglas, they're. They're 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 dead in the water to me. I have no reason to care about them. The only thing I will say in, in any disagreement to what you said was, I think it was a bit too quick to push the reset button. Bischoff was let go on Friday, and this pay per view took place immediately the following Sunday, and so it seemed like this was just a hold the ship steady show more than anything, which might explain a lot of the fifty fifty booking that went on, but otherwise. I think you're completely on the noggin there. Uh, Devinder Vargas, respond to anything Bob said and give us your thoughts on that match. Yeah, to be fair, we have never taken an elbow from Hugh Morris, so we cannot know what kind of pain <laughs> Dean Malenko was in. Now that he I've is, said yeah. my sarcastic comment, I can he go on yeah, he is and big. crap all over this goddamn match. <laughs> when it comes to that promo that the Revolution did, you build on that. You got people, okay, look, these guys are serious. Now you you need to, oh, Jesus, I, it, there's so many words. You need to build on that feeling that people got after they watched that promo. Not only, let alone the talent that these guys have. This is the first match of their many matches of the night, and they crapped all over it. Who the hell is Hugh Morris? And Why? Like I said, I'm sorry, like Bob said, the no DQ was not even touched, so to speak. And um, Malenko is money. That guy is a beast. Shane Douglas messed up the town. He used to be a teacher. He should know better. But (laughs) Hugh Morris and Nobbs, like, (laughs) seriously, what the hell? This is the kind of crap that made me say, okay, that's it. Can we just finish the goddamn show? Because they've already finished everything figuratively that we're watching because it it uh it may it just was not a good booking decision at least if it was a credible team you could have been like okay maybe they lost one but they need to rally back and you know win the rest and come on guys and you know hype each other up and support each other but they these are four great 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 talents and what what do you do now? What do you do now with them? They're, they didn't even. There's no momentum now. There's no. Oh, hey, we're gonna win. Oh, but shit, we lost to Hugh Morris and that goddamn elbow. You guys are a lot. I I get the finish. I do. Head scratcher. In fairness, it was a nice moonsault. Um, I thought the match was fine. Uh, I think it would just with the finish going the other way, this match would have been remembered very differently as just kind of a nothing get over match for the faces, which is what it should have been. That didn't happen. And yes, I think we can be all left perplexed. Um, It does seem that they're teasing some sort of split of the revolution with Shane Douglas kind of fragmenting the group. 
This result wasn't really brought up later in Nitro, so I can't really link the two. But to the extent you want to defend these uh, finishes that we'll talk about later on, maybe that's the angle to do it. We get another recap package, which I think we get before every match uh, tonight. WCW has really gotten a lot better about these. And that segs into Rick Steiner, the television champion, taking on Perry Saturn for the world TV title. Bobby the Brain had his working boots on tonight. He did a great job getting Rick over as a heel, talking about the cutthroat attitude of modern wrestling. Rick can't just be the nice, barking, hand-clapping guy anymore. And Tony tells us that Buff Bagwell has not arrived for his match against Berlin later, but another WCW wrestler has stepped up to the plate. I'm intrigued. Back in the ring, Dogface and uh, Perry are trading blows. These are stiff shots. German suplex gets Perry a two, and Rick with the low blow because it's 1999. Tanae talks about the refs wearing black armbands in honor of Brian Hiddlebrand, which you would have heard about in the news. The match spills to the floor, and Saturn hits the steps, and suddenly this match just slows way the heck down. Rick exposes the concrete and DDTs Perry, and back into the ring, Rick keeps on Perry with kicks and a German release suplex for two, picking it back up again. Eventually, Saturn hits some high-flying offense and a side-release suplex, but only gets a two. Rick counters a leapfrog into a power slam. Saturn hits the DVD out of nowhere, but it only gets a two. Perry goes for another DVD, which is countered into a turnbuckle slam. Perry catches Rick on the second rope, but Rick manages the bulldog anyway. For the three, the revolution is quickly 0 for 2 on the night. <laughs> Devinder, I don't imagine your uh, response is going to be much different this time. No, sir. I'm just going to change the names. <laughs> Rick, <laughs> Rick, Steiner, Rick Steiner is at least more of a credible name than Nobbs. No, yes, he is. Yes, he okay. is. And the guys, the guys did good. And the slowing down, I think, was a good change of pace because it allowed them to show uh, their versatility. You know, like um, these guys are ground and pound guys and i i like that about them saturn you got a feel for saturn um both men put on good performances it's just the committee it's just the booking um i think saturn had so much potential when he was uh you know with raven and they snatched that from him it was just a it was a one-sided thing uh steiner almost messes up the suplex that death valley driver though that was really, really nice. I wasn't, ex- I wasn't, I wasn't expecting a two count because it was out of nowhere. I thought that that would have been the finish, but um, again, it's a finish that I was just not a fan of. The match itself was fine, um, more than fine. It was, it was really good. I did like the change of pace, and um, it's just it, the revolution. It, it's not revolving at all. Uh, Bob, go. <sighs> okay, so. <laughs> We do too many shows together. I know exactly where you're headed. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, I'm glad somebody gets me. Um, listen, I like I like Perry Saturn. I think he's very good in the ring. I, I think his offense is you know, very refreshing. Um, you know, similar to a guy like Canyon. You know, it's kind of it spices up the card. It's different. I like it. And I understand that Rick Steiner is of more value compared to Hugh Morris and Brian Ops. There's absolutely no denying about that. My main frustration here. If I'm on this booking committee, realistically, is Rick Steiner going to be on my roster in six months to a year or two years? Probably not. This guy is getting older and older and older. And I know WCW loves that. They love older and older guys. 
clearly. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, at some point, you know, you're looking at your competition who are getting drastically younger and younger and younger. And their older guys are substantially few and far between for the most part. Uh, and then you have, you know, WCW just pushing all these guys that are, you know, seemingly 38 or 40 years old, 40 years old or, or older. This is blowing my mind right now. Uh, this is a few, I didn't like this feud from the get go. Uh, and more so the handling of it. Rick Steiner does have, you know, again, as I'm, as I noted, uh, or as we've said, a higher prestige or, you know, he's more well-known, more you know, credible. So this is a perfect opportunity to elevate one of your talents that may, in fans' eyes, not be presented nearly the same level. We, and, call, that a, we call that a rub. Yes. Yeah, you want to get the rub. Get the rub. And I knew that the rub wasn't going to be happening on an episode of Nitro, where I believe it was Nitro, where there was a, I guess you could say a brawl between Rick Steiner and Saturn in the ring. Rick Steiner entering the ring and he's just, you know, punching Saturn. And at no point was Rick Steiner giving him anything. You know, Saturn would try to punch back, but Rick Steiner would just literally beat the crap out of him with just jabs right to the face. And it, in, in that moment, you lose credibility from Saturn that he can't fight off a guy like Rick Steiner. If he's able to even tackle him or anything leading into this match, he's going to have more believability. But for me, seeing that coming into this show, I'm thinking Saturn might not win. And it was really worrisome. And then you have the previous match and I'm like, he for sure ain't going to be winning. There's, there's no way. And the the Death Valley driver that you you mentioned that probably would have been a great time to win the match. A shock factor, like he just beat him with the, that gets the Delph, the Death Valley driver over immediately. It's even a viable do, finisher. Yeah. Even do the kick out at three point one like Hogan at Mania Six. It doesn't matter. The shock, yeah, the shock value. It's like I I beat you with the move. Oh, I well I kicked out. Well, I still beat you, brother. To me, this match and this angle for Saturn and for the Revolution is not beneficial in any way. I still don't understand why Rick Steiner is going over people like this. Um, you know, it makes me wonder if uh, if Bischoff was if it was in charge, uh, how drastically different this show could have been. The results could have been, um, but it's just really unfortunate. You know, like Saturn has had the the push beginning. You know, when he was uh, dressing in drag early this year, which seemingly was getting over the crowd because he wanted to do it, and they just stopped doing it out of nowhere, and now he's back to just being Perry Saturn. Um, you know, this revolution is, is pretty much a bunch of guys without any traction. And anytime that's the case is you can't imagine that anybody, you know, a group of four people with no direction, no traction, suddenly they're going to get traction. That doesn't, that's not how it works. So you don't have, you know, four sumo guys come together to be in a group and suddenly they're going to start working out and all get abs. No, this is going to keep on eating. And these guys are just going to continue to get lost in direction. Uh, just back-to-back matches, furious watching it, and I'm furious talking about it, so I'm going to stop talking about it. It's okay, Bob. Thank you. It's interesting that Bischoff gets removed, and it's only three days until the pay-per-view, but there's absolutely no no way to distinguish pre-Bischoff and post-Bischoff based on the results of these pay-per-view matches. Yeah, I fully agree. The tag match was what it was. I think singles guys teaming up to win in a tag match 
Um, and taking a loss is fine, especially to a team that's being pushed as a potential threat to the tag team division. So, I mean, you can explain the Knobs and Morris uh, victory that way. The old adage that even two top singles guys aren't better in a tag team uh, in a tag team match. But this result is a little bit confounding because, yeah, Perry Saturn is somebody that needs the rub. He is somebody who's tailor-made for that TV belt, coming in and wrestling 10, 15-minute matches every Monday, every Thursday, opening the pay-per-view. We've seen him. We know he can do it. And when you get him in there with somebody who's an even better worker than, than he is, those matches are, are almost promised to be great. So, yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity here to get that TV belt on Perry Saturn and really feature him for 10 minutes a week. Rick Steiner can be a badass heel by himself or in a tag team with Scott, who returned this month, without the TV title. I don't think that really fits him, nor does he need it. So, yeah, this more than the tag match was confounding to me. The match was fine, but again, like you both accurately say, the booking a little bit confounding. And so Gene is backstage with Red and Yellow Hogan. Hogan says he swears on his kids and the red and yellow. He's on the up and up, brother. Hogan gets annoyed with Gene for questioning his motives. And it's like the last two years just didn't happen. Hogan says his friend Sting, yes, his friend Sting can trust him. (laughs) The issue is between Hulk and Flexi Lexi. All right. And it's Berlin with his bodyguard, who I'm not sure if they named him here, but later on we learn his name Wall or The Wall. And it's Berlin to take on buff bagwell but as we learned earlier buff bagwell is not to be there bob calling who do we get instead hacksaw jim duggan ho and man I want to do ho. oh <laughs> give us a ho devender why not oh there you go i love it and this just shows that duggan is still over and fuck me if he's not over in front of this carolina crowd he is this crowd would 100% rather see Jim Duggan than Buff Bagwell. And the match starts. And it's a mess. And Jim Duggan doesn't sell. And Berlin hits his moves. And Jim Duggan doesn't sell. And then Jim Duggan gets frustrated. And he sells even less. And then they try some submission moves and some wrestling. And that looks terrible. And then Duggan blows up completely. And then there's a bunch of face locks. And then the finish comes. And yes, I'm just going straight to the finish because that was the match. There's a the bodyguard wall exposes the concrete on the floor and sets Duggan onto the unprotected floor. Berlin hits the reverse neckbreaker and gets the three. <laughs> Duggan is immediately up. Buff has arrived and he tells the agent his plane was late. Buff hits the ring. And for some reason, Duggan is upset with buff bagwell that my friends was not good a bit of context the dirt sheets reported buff bagwell was pulled because he didn't want to do the job to berlin and then during the match duggan got frustrated because he didn't know what to do during the match bob just give us your thoughts but don't spend too much time on this train wreck well i was gonna say i got the vibe that duggan had no interest in being there (laughs) <laughs> he did not want to be in that ring. He didn't want to do anything. So to know the context behind it now, in hindsight, is absolutely hilarious and phenomenal. Um, that's just shit. But, you know, it's the random, it's actually kind of hilarious that they actually got the right decision for once. They had Berlin go over. Go go figure. It oh, this had, this had count out written all over it, didn't it? 
<laughs> or DQ or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just get the two by four and just drill everybody. That's what I thought it was going. But they did the clean whip. <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time Duggan took a pinfall odds. I mean, this is a huge moment for a guy like Berlin to win <laughs> over Jim Duggan, who probably hasn't lost since like 1988, for all I know. I have no idea. The last, well, I guess Vader, technically, at Star K94. But uh, just re- absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the match, like I said, is, is absolute crap. Uh, Alex Wright or I should say Berlin, um, is just, I, I'm not, I don't like his in-ring style at all. Alex Wright, you know, way better offense. I mean, I don't know if he knows how to play, how to do like heel work in an entertaining manner. It was just so slow and plotting on his end that I was not interested at all in this Berlin character. I don't know how, if this is going to get over. DDP's promising a push out the door. I don't know. Like, what is he doing? This is just, just did not connect with me at all. Um, but hey, good good thing for Berlin. He beat a guy for who hadn't lost in about eleven years. So congratulations, <laughs> Devinder. Berlin conquered the real wrestling streak. What were your thoughts on this match? Berlin gets the win. Malenko, Saturn, Benoit, Eddie, zero, because WCW. So I would have perfect. Like it was a beautiful, just a cluster fuck of all. Jesus, it was, it was so hilarious. Like Bob said, I would have taken, like I would have even taken, like Hacksaw Jim Duggan just grabbing his two by four and just doing his march backstage. He was so over with that crowd. If he would have like won, the the place would have gone crazy. It would have been the best reaction of the night. Um, it was, it was just, a, it was such a fuck up. It was, it was great, but it, it was, it was really entertaining. And Duggan, when you say that he did not know what to do, I think that's the best reason of all. And, but he did look legitimately like pissed yeah. and uh, pushed off Bagwell and Bagwell just should have done the job. Just go in there and done his job, but he does it the uh, next I, night. Yeah, literally yeah, I know that's the crazy part. I think <laughs> yeah. like he just he he got yelled at for like maybe by Duggan, maybe he got yelled at by Jim Duggan. He goes, "Okay, Jim, I'll go out there." But um, it, it at least it gave us this moment, and it's a moment I uh, that will live in infamy. You want to know what's absolutely hilarious? Buff Bagwell is a complete moron. He doesn't want to do the job on pay per view, but yeah, he does the job on television. Where arguably, not arguably. More people are watching Nitro than they're watching Fall Brawl 1999. Exactly. Significantly more. Significantly so, more. Yeah. So you're, you're going to pay to not see me. You're yeah. going to pay to not see me, but you're going to not pay to see me lose. Yeah. It just blows my mind. Because he knows value. This match should have been Duggan is announced as the surprise opponent. He gets the big pop. Berlin refuses to take him on. He agrees. The match starts. Wall lays out Duggan from behind. They put the boots to him. Duggan grabs that board, clears everybody out. Three minutes, and we're out. These guys wrestled. You. These guys wrestled an eight-minute match that Duggan called in the ring, and it just what it refused to come together into anything resembling a coordinated effort. So that's as much time as we need to spend on this. I think you know Alex Wright's doing his best Lars from Heavyweights impression to get this Berlin character over. We'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, this is one of those pushes where I'm wondering, you know, where exactly are we going with this Berlin character that clearly has, you know, a ceiling in the high mid card with that heavy, thick gimmick. Speaking of ed- other heavy, thick gimmicks, the West Texas Rednecks 
and Harlem Heat, their feud is recapped, and that takes us to our tag team title match. And it is Harlem Heat taking on Barry and Kendall Wyndham, the stalker and the counterfeiter, who are uh, part of the West Texas Rednecks, and they're out with Kurt Hennig, and the tag titles are on the line. Kendall uses heel tactics to take an early advantage on Booker. And I I should advise the listener who hasn't caught up on this show yet. This is a mid-Atlantic 1979 tag match to the the T. Barry tags in as does Stevie, and Stevie wins the big man battle early. Barry and Kendall work over Stevie with chops and punches. DDT by Barry followed by punches and elbows. The heels work over Stevie forever until Stevie counters counters with a power slam on Barry. Tagged to Booker, who cleans house. Harlem sidekick to Kendall. Side slam to Kendall for a two. Hennig's outside, threatening to get involved, and he eats a punch from Booker. Out, out on the, out on the, uh, outside, I should say. Barry and Kurt assault Booker. That same ref from the opening match who kept getting distracted is back, and he's distracted still. Back in the ring, Kendall grabs a hold on Booker. Booker manages the axe kick, but Barry clobbers him with a clothesline. There's a lot going on in this match. Outside, Kirk Kirk spikes Booker onto the guardrail, and the ref is astoundingly still distracted by Stevie. A suplex in the ring gets Barry a two. Barry hits the superplex, which Bob knows that uh, was guaranteed for a three on Saturday night in like 1992-93. But here it only gets a two, and Stevie breaks it up. The crowd is getting really restless for the hot tag. And Stevie comes in, and it's immediately a cluster. All four men in the ring, and Kurt nails Stevie with the cowbell with the ref again distracted. This allows Booker to hit the missile dropkick on Kendall for the three, so the faces pull it out. Tony puts over the idea Booker was the legal man when the spot was designed to not allow the ref, who had previously seen Booker tag in with his own plain two eyes. Whatever. Harlem Heat are nine-time world world tag team champions, it's announced. Uh, Devender, I found this match a little bit hard to follow at times, but I think the right guys won. Uh, the right guys did win. Um, it's perfectly fine. Booker, Booker did a lot of the work. Uh, I was even getting restless for that hot tag. Um, the only thing is that the finish was when uh, when they were yelling at the at the ref to uh, to count, and the ref just kind of looked at him. And I like how Booker just calmly walked in and kicked his head off. Yeah, and uh, it was just so calm. Like I'm just gonna do this. And um, it was it was hard to follow. It was a little confusing, but the booking was correct, and I can take that. Uh, Harlem Heat, uh, great tag team, uh, great performers. Um, the right guys won, just like you said. Yeah. There was a funny spot on commentary right at the outset of the match where Tony was trying to get Harlem Heat over as the tag team of the '90s, and Heaney just goes, "No, I think it was the Steiners." It's like shit. That's like shit, Bobby. Don't you don't you understand what the hell they're trying to do here? Yeah, but Bob, a Harlem Heat nine-time tag champs. You know, I think if we look back on the last decade, there is an argument to be made. The Heat are the tag team of the '90s, at least down south. Yeah, for WCW's sake, I would I would say that's accurate. Um, but but really, has anything better come out of the Fed? Now that I oh, think about good it, question. We're, we're pivoting here now to a little tangent, but. Harlem Heat uh, might might go down as the tag team of the '90s. Anyway, I don't mean to divert you here. I mean the Smoking Guns had a good match with Well Done before, so. And their match at eleven with Owen and Yoko is one of my personal favorites. There you go. So I'm gonna go with Smoking Guns. Uh, no, Harlem <laughs> Heat. Yeah, I mean the amount of challengers for Not that the title. Body no, I mean, well, you know what? I'll throw this out here. I mean, the oh. Heavenly Bodies, you know, oh. like uh, from a territorial manner. I think yeah. they or like the Rock and Roll Express. You know, I think that. 
there's like a decent amount, like in the early parts of, of the 90s, was uh, could be kind of challenging towards that. This is a Smoky Mountain heavy volume. Hey, you can't ever go wrong with Smoky Mountain. We but all any- know that. Yeah, but anyway, Harlem Heat, I mean, they're they're back together and they're being pushed to the moon finally. This is what we wanted to see 96-97 against the Outsiders, right? Well, for sure. And of course, they dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. They dropped it in 96 and they dropped a lot here in 99. Uh yeah, there's well there's no question number one that Harlem Heat is super over with the crowd. I mean, there's without a doubt they're the they are the tag team act for WCW. And it seems like their most more most recent title reigns have only lasted like eight days. We were playing a really hot potato with the title, um, which I think would kind of hurt Harlem Heat in the long run. Uh, you know, they can't have a substantial reign over arguably a pretty weak tag team division for WCW. Uh, this to me kind of came across as if the West Texas Rednecks are probably fading out. Barry didn't look like he was in phenomenal shape by any means. Uh, you know, Kendall just kind of going through the motions. This match was heavy on smoke and mirrors with like distractions and all these other things. Uh, the right team absolutely went over with Harlem heat. Uh, if they had lost in this, at this point in time, I think the crowd would have just upped and left. Uh, just, I don't think anybody really would want Barry and Kendall to be uh, victorious over a much more talented Booker T and Stevie Ray tag team. Although I am still kind of frustrated that Booker T is kind of saddled in the tag team division and he should be propelled uh, to, to be more associated with this, youth movement against the old guard is what they were attempting to do uh, the last couple of months. But, uh, you know, not, not, not a awful match by any means, but not one that I was heavily, uh, invested in or, or really even paying attention to. I just, my eyes were fixated on it, but it wasn't really registering with me uh, until the finish. So, uh, but it's good that Harlem heat can now claim that they are the nine time WCW tag team champion. Yeah, a, a bit more context. Again, backstage news aplenty this month. Apparently, the switch to put the tag belts on the Texas Rednecks was heavily criticized uh, by at least some backstage, at least those who were calling the torch in the Observer. And it was thought to be a little bit of cronyism for Kevin Sullivan and Barry Windham and Kendall Windham and those guys kind of going back a long time. And so, yeah, this switch is probably probably is a result of this of the change and having Bischoff come out of that booking role or at least having his influence in that aspect of the company uh, to the extent he was at least we see the pivot off of the West Texas Rednecks who yeah do seem to be uh, on the way out and I think you know this gimmick is fun but it's you know better in short bursts Kurt Hennig could still go I'd like to see him while he's still got some miles left on the tank have have decent wrestling matches and not just be a third guy for Barry and Kendall Windham. But yeah, I think the I think the result was fine. And that takes us right to the Millennium Man versus the Crippler. It's Sid versus Chris Benoit for the United States Championship. And Sid remains over. Lock up, clean break. Lock up, and Sid launches Chris across the ring. Sid riles up the crowd. Kicks in a headlock for Benoit, but Sid runs him over. Chris catches his breath outside. Lock up and it's Sid with punches, kicks, and a choke. Standard Sid fare. Benoit ducks a kick and hits a a dragon screw leg whip. Chris works the legs on the ropes. Good strategy. And he cinches an Indian death lock. A rake of the eyes allows Sid to get to his feet. Goldberg chants are getting under Sid's skin. Sid misses a corner charge and Chris posts Sid's leg. On the outside, Chris drop kicks the steps into Sid's leg. And those steps are settled against the ring post. Ouch. 
fairness, having Duggan go just a few minutes before makes Sid's selling seem credible. In the ring, incredibly, Chris hits a German suplex on Sid. Sid takes the German suplex more like it. Then Watt tries again, but Sid shoots him into the ropes, catches Chris, and nails a Samoan drop. Sid sells the leg as he grabs a Cobra clutch and, and a slam for a two. Sid then locks in his favorite hole, the chin lock. Sid keeps the advantage until Chris slithers out and kicks the leg. Crossface onto Sid. Sid attempts to power out but sells fatigue until he gets his foot on the ropes. Interestingly, the next night on Nitro, Benoit would say that Sid tapped out, but I don't think we got a definitive camera angle here, nor did the announcers really sell it. Chris misses a diving headbutt, and this allows Sid to pick up Chris for the powerbomb and the three and the U.S. title. The revolution is 0-3, and, and Sid is 80-0. and 0. Bob, Sid versus Benoit, and we march on. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, Sid, I, I love Sid. I think Sid's great. He's not a great worker by any means, but his presence, he's, you know, hard, half the time he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's just, it's great television. I can really enjoy what he's providing. <clears throat> uh, I don't think this is a match that needed to happen. I don't know why you would, uh, you know, put Sid, who is arguably your, your most over heel, I think for sure, uh, in a spot here for the U.S. title that he doesn't need to to get over on, but Benoit does need the U S title. Benoit would need to win this match to solidify him in the revolution as viable threats. Uh, you know, it's, it's relatively competitive, uh, pretty clunky just because they're a mismatch in styles and whichever. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't like hate it, but Sid, Sid being the U S champion, I think, distracts people from the title and it's more on him uh, meanwhile benoit would bring more i think prestige to the u.s title like oh there's u.s title match tonight instead of like oh it's sid wrestling so i don't i don't like that kind of component to it but um if it, if it was a match that i you know if they asked me should we book it i would have said absolutely not shuffle up the card a little bit figure something else out um and move on from it uh the revolution going zero and three and all their matches uh, I mean, there, there's no reason for anybody to get behind them. You know, losing to Hugh Morris and Brian Hobbs is a complete joke. And then losing to guys like uh, Rick Siren and, and Sid are obviously justifiable ones. But, you know, if like tomorrow night it's Chris Benoit against, you know, Hulk Hogan or something, who's really going to buy into that? Absolutely nobody. Um, so everything about this match in terms of decisions kind of flows in with the previous matches for me, just dumbfounded um, and uh, just completely unnecessary. I'm going to make you guys talk about Sid later on because I'm hosting and it's my favorite thing going on in WCW right now. Oh, it is. Uh, he is. He is 100% yeah. over it. Uh, it, it, it. Man stuff. And, and, and so Devinder from a Chris Benoit perspective, yeah. uh, this, this, I don't know. They tried to pivot by giving him the TV title the next night, but I don't think there's a way to spin this as positive for Chris Benoit. Do you? Uh, no, because I think every result in every match that you have has a bad uh, ripple effect. Uh, in the pond, that is a company. Uh, Benoit is a smart wrestler. I like the story that they did tell uh, because Sid was presented as a as a huge monster and Benoit had to work his way around that. And... Um, Benoit, Benoit needed this win. It was the it was the result I was the least upset at, 
but um, he did need to win. It's just another, it's another, you know, bearing of the revolution. And it's hard to, to buy into them now, seeing that every member has lost their match in a very important night. Yeah, it's 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 tough. And, you know, they I don't know if this was made up later on, but the announcers didn't sell it at all. I mentioned it during the match read, but Benoit did come out uh, either the next night or I think it was the next night on Nitro and said that Sid did tap to the cross face, but you can't always catch all the breaks. If they would have played that up a little bit more during the match, that would have, I think, at least helped. And given, uh, you know, maybe down the line, uh, a match uh, rematch for Sid and Benoit. But yeah, they didn't play it here. And just as the show went off the air, you have the Revolution 0-4. Uh, this was a pretty clean, uh, definitive win for Sid. Benoit got all of his stuff in, and it couldn't do the job. Sid gets in, gets his one power bomb in, and it knocks out Benoit. Yeah, I don't. I, this kind of does help uh, make the argument that we heard about with guys like Kidman and Mysterio, and now we're hearing it uh, probably. Uh, with other guys where there's just not a lot of upward mobility for these younger wrestler type guys over the firmly established stars. And Sid is one of those guys. He's been a main eventer everywhere he's gone essentially since 1989 or 90. So yeah, there, this just makes it clear that Benoit will not be positioned over Sid anytime soon. And it's immediately time for Goldberg DDP two. At least I think it's two. Anyway, before the match, the referee comically extracts a bunch of weapons from DDP, including a chain and a roll of quarters. Page hits the deck, back in, and Goldberg grabs a side headlock. Page with an arm ringer into a side headlock, and Goldberg powers out. A shoulder tackle thrusts Page out of the ring. Page grabs the house mic and threatens to leave. Stall, stall, stall. Goldberg chases him down, and they brawl into the crowd. Back at ringside, Page slithers back into the ring and hammers Goldberg. But Goldberg recovers and is quick with a power slam. The ref takes a shot. Page grabs another weapon from his tights, nails Goldberg, but refuses to cover. GDP taunts the crowd, taunts Goldberg, and then he grabs an endless reverse chin lock. Goldberg hooks up and takes the advantage. Page floats over into a DDT for a two. Page tries... Um, Again, and Goldberg reverses into some sort of slam for a two. And here comes the triad. Goldberg, uh, Canyon hits Goldberg with glass or something. Something exploded. And a rock bottom gets DDP a two. Goldberg then takes out the triad, spears Page, and hits the jackhammer for the predictable three. But in almost, uh, in over nine minutes, one of his longest matches uh, to date, I think, still. Bob Calling, it wasn't uh, much of anything compared to their Halloween Havoc match, but uh, what were your thoughts on DDP Goldberg 2? Monumentally disappointed. Uh, From the beginning, having him take out all the weapons, to me, diminished DDP as a viable heel uh, in this environment. As a babyface, he had no problem going up against Goldberg and gave him a great battle. As a heel, he's a coward, and he needs a whole bunch of help, and he knows he needs a whole bunch of help. So going right from there, I knew uh, that this was going to be fairly one-sided or uh you know dp not really having much of a chance here the involvement with the triad cemented that even more so uh canyon's you know shot of glass or whatever it was uh cut up goldberg pretty good on the back uh, of his head i believe it was or back uh so there's quite a quite a bit of blood there but uh i'm not a fan of the smoke and mirrors uh 
well, like we got with a tag title match, and now what we got here, um, these and we know what, what makes it even more frustrating is that we know these guys are capable of a good sprint of a match, uh, and it, it wasn't utilized here at all. Uh, the right decision, though, for Goldberg, obviously, to go over. Uh, there's more value in him. I think the triad, you know, might be dead in the water, too. I think um, there might be a lot of, you know, refreshing going on here in the next couple of months in WCW because the West Texas Rednecks are looking like they're on the way out in the triad. Their momentum has shifted downward significantly. Uh, nor do I think DDP really needs to be in a group like the triad. He should probably venture off onto his own. Uh, but for me, it was. Definitely a disappointing match. Uh, it could have been a match that if it was anything close to Havoc 98, could have really added a much-needed entertainment to this show, which has lacked significantly since the second match on the card. So uh, this is just another disappointing match in a, in a trend of them. And, uh, you know, there's nothing really else for, for me to comment because it was just you expect so much and you get disappointed so greatly. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the issues with this match especially, and with a lot of the results tonight, the ones that even made sense, were this is a pay-per-view, so you have to go a certain amount of time. But Goldberg and DDP, I imagine, had the one match that went over 10 minutes that they could have had a year ago. They can't do the same thing. And now you have DDP as a heel, which is kind of an awkward spot for him to be in anyway. There was no way this match was going to go anyway, but the way it did, it just took too long to get there. I think exactly what you said, DDP versus Goldberg, five minutes. DDP works a heel style, but it's a clean-er match. You can have the triad interfere fine, but yeah, this match just had a lot of stalling and a lot of spots where if you just went in and edited it and took the scissors and kind of taped it back together, uh, there were pieces of a, of a quality match here. I didn't find it not entertaining. I just You could tell it was there was a lot of stalling going on to get this thing to near the 10-minute mark. Uh, Devinder, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I was excited going in uh, because of who they were, you know, and and just like Bob said, the the taking away of the weapons kind of just it it put a joke on what could have been a serious match, considering how good their match was um, the first time they went around, and now looking forward to the sequel, it was just it was a disappointment, especially when. Knowing that the second match of a series, so to speak, is just as important or more important than the first one. The first one, you can have beginner's luck. You could just have a good night. The second one sees if the two performers do have chemistry. There was just too much stalling on DDP's part. And the triads interference, it, it just it made Goldberg look like he's this guy that you need a whole bunch of help for. But you want like a whole bunch of guys on the same level to do that. DDP should have been able to stand on his own should have brought the fight and not the chin locks. <laughs> this is a chin lock heavy 45 minutes between the Sid match and this match. Yeah, I fully agree with, with everything you guys said. I think the result was right. I just think it was a little bit uh, convoluted to get there. And so it's main event time. Remember when Hogan had a Hummer and a Hummer ran over Nash? Was it the same Hummer? Remember when Hogan or Luger attacked Sting? Let's go to the main event. It's Michael Buffer in the ring with an ascot. Yes, he's wearing an ascot in 1999. Sting is out first, and then Hogan out to American Made. <laughs> I don't care what you say. That song is a jam. The crowd, fair, in fairness, the crowd is decently hot for Hogan. And suddenly, as the announcers are talking about Bret Hart, Bret Hart comes out, and then the announcers eventually notice that the guy they're talking about is coming out. 
It was as awkward as that sounds. But anyway, we learned that Bret Hart has come out to the ring just to wish Hogan and Sting well. Bret shakes Hogan's hand. He shakes Sting's hand. And then he leaves. Bret Hart, ladies and gentlemen. And then the bell sounds, unfortunately. And it's Sting versus Hulk Hogan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Lock up and they tussle in the ropes. Nick Patrick is the referee for this match if you're keeping score. Trash talking and they lock up again. Roll up into the ropes and we're back at square one. Hogan grabs an arm ringer and Sting reverses into a hammer lock. Hogan with the drop toe hold into a cross face. Clean break and we're back on our feet. Lock up, Hogan headlock, Sting reverse. At this point, neither man has broken a sweat. Hogan shoves Sting into the corner, punches, knees, and a clothesline. Body slam and an elbow, you've seen it, and Sting pops back up. Lock up and Sting gets a body slam and an elbow. Hulk pops up and we're back to zero. Test of strength and and Hogan knees Sting in the gut. Sting no-sells a suplex and nails Hulk with punches in the corner. Hogan dips to the outside and now we have a brawl to the outside. They send each other into the barricades and we're back in the ring. A belly-to-back suplex gets Hulk a two. Another rear chin lock. Take a drink. Into an arm-pulling type maneuver for the Hulkster. Sting selling like it's Starcade 97 here and getting no offense in. Hulk locks in the abdominal stretch, followed by back rakes. Punches in the corner and Hulk bites Sting. Hogan gets a two. Sting ducks a clothesline with a cross-body block for two. A stinger splash in another, and a third splash misses. Punches in the big boot, and Hogan hits the leg drop, but suddenly Diamond Dallas Page is back out, and he takes out the ref. He attempts a diamond cutter on Hogan, and Hogan sells it as if it was pulled off. Watch it for yourself. Of course, after a delay, Hogan kicks out of the diamond cutter at two, so the referee gets a diamond cutter. And now Bret Hart is back out, and he takes out Page. Punches by Hulk, and Sid is out, and Sid takes the big boot. out with a bat but hogan intercepts him now sting has the bat and hogan says i told you he was the one brother referring to lex but then sting nails hogan with the bat sting locks in the scorpion and the ref stops the match sting and lex embrace the crowd and the crowd loves sting taking the piss out of hogan heel sting closes the show bob that was a lot of talking for not a lot of action first what were your thoughts on the match we'll get to the, the finish in a minute uh, the match was <laughs> the match was slow plotting. You would have thought that. I mean, I think even people at an old home would have been like, "Wow, this match sucks." 
that it was so slow and just not all that interesting. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. The whole premise here of Sting, you know, working very similar to the Starkey 97 match, like you mentioned, I don't know if it really fits for the match or the story that they're even trying to portray or the Sting character that he is today. Um, I mean, I think in recent months, Sting has showcased that he is vulnerable and he sells quite a bit. Uh, and he's not like superhuman, like maybe as he were to have been before. But considering Hogan's age and just the way that he's been, been uh, presented, kind of makes Sting look like a like a goof to me personally. To know that he can get beat up by a guy, you know, with a receding hairline and has hair on the side of his head and he moves like a dinosaur. Uh, but you know, whatever. Uh, the finish, though, here, and I guess you could say a heel turn. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever met someone that has said, "I want to hate Sting." And it's very <laughs> prevalent here with the finish that nobody wants to hate Sting. People love to hate Lex Luger, and that's why he fits very well in the role that he was for the angle that was going on here. But I don't think Sting is a dislikable character, nor is he a dislikable person ever presented on television. So I don't see this heel turn going very well at all. Um, the you know and everybody running out like it's a nitro, you know just. Just let it like we got to stop with all this nonsense of people running in because Hogan doesn't want to do a clean job for Sting. I don't think Sting's ever beaten him cleanly, and I think that's got to be a worrisome factoid for a guy like Sting. Um, and the whole angle leading up into this was borderline comical to me because just to show you how they lack any sense of creativity. This whole angle is basically the same angle, just with roles reversed. When Luger first arrived in 1995, right? With you know, who can you? T- oh, you can trust. You can trust Luger. I promise. You know, in the whole War Games thing from '95, it just it's, it lacks creativity and and to know and to know that there's so many similarities to the old you know old storylines makes me even greater concerned for this committee that. This just means in like two years, the NWO is going to come back around or a different group under the same premise is going to come around because that's what's worked in the past. Uh, not not everything that works in the past is going to work in the future. But uh, for this main event, it was uh, a snoozer. There's there's no excitement for it other than the heel turn by Sting that pretty much nobody wanted to have happen because they cheered for it. So Sting's the biggest babyface coming out of the show. Devinder, your thoughts on the match and then the finish and the heel turn. Uh, Sting is the biggest baby face, but Hogan is just the biggest baby. That guy cannot just take the three count for somebody. And um, I, I just find it funny when he t- he mentioned it was his friend, you know, his friend Sting, that I'm going to choke with a camera cord and then I'm going to heal it up with the entire match and dominate throughout the entire match and throw him into the guardrail. And it was, um, it's just, it, I'm not buying it. I'm totally not buying it, especially with the finish. Um, you're trying to turn Sting heel, but it's not going to work. That that heel turn is going to flop harder than Dimalenko did earlier in the night. And um, it's just not going to work. And and uh, it, the place went crazy when, when Sting won. You would think that if you get a boo or two, then the story is told correctly. But it wasn't, and and it's just it's going to be interesting to see what they do and how they present Sting 
if they're going to keep playing uh, Hulk Hogan the victim. But we'll we'll just see what happens. But I just I didn't buy it. Uh, the the match was slow, just too much Hogan, and Sting didn't get anything. Not not enough to warrant his. And it just shows that he didn't get enough action in the match, so he needed the bat to win the match and and the title. The the match was absolutely pathetic. Um, this was the most basic of basic wrestling matches. With all of the Hogan gimmicks and all of the sting selling that we've seen for the past 15 years. But I like the heel turn. And I think that this sting character really, if you see it on Nitro in the in the days that follow this event, I know at the time it seemed a little strange, but the way it was played up, this creepy guy, creepy like stalker character who just kind of sneaks and slithers around and tries to take out Hulk Hogan. I kind of like it. I think there's value in that. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit adjacent to the Jack Nicholson Joker character, uh, in a way, the creepy evil clown, uh, in, in a sense. But it's Sting, and everybody knows Sting. The problem is, and this is always WCW's issue, is you, you don't turn a guy heel in a place where he's been a babyface for his entire career. They're in the Carolinas here, and Sting has only ever been a guy that's wrestled in Crockett and in WCW. Um, except for his first year or two getting getting started. But this is a guy who's only ever been known as the biggest baby face in Crockett into WCW. And you turn him heel in front of this crowd, this this stay, this home base crowd, of course he's going to get cheered because they don't like Hogan anyway. They haven't liked Hogan since he came in. And it was just all messed up. If you want to do something like this, great. But just make sure you're in front of the right crowd to do it in if you're looking for a particular response. Now, that said, Heel Sting could get over and could become a moneymaker. And then he could kind of pivot into a uh, a shade of gray character a la Steve Austin. I don't know if the man Steve Borden has the chops to kind of pull that off. I've never been all that impressed by his interviews, his promos, or really even his in-ring style. His, his success was kind of babyface charisma. But if an older, more mature and savvier Steve Borden can pull off this creepy Sting character, we might be on to something here. Just don't do it in the home crowd. Do it in, a, in front of a crowd that you know is going to give you the reaction you're looking for. And I think it fell flat there, and it kind of is an almond to start to this, uh, this change of character, which I think is badly needed. Uh, but that's just me. I thought the match was piss poor but i think the last three or four minutes of the show was at least intriguing i might have left sid out i don't know what he was doing down there you're trying to build this guy up and hogan takes him out too i think it's forgivable but i wouldn't have done it okay that's the end of the show fall brawl quite the roller coaster bob we'll start with you your overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10 please well the the show started off with some level of uh hope and uh, interest with the two, you know, the first two matches kind of being enjoyable. And then we fell off a cliff and we never got back. Uh, we fell off the cliff and then the car fell on top of us that we were in. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, people started shooting at us as well, despite already being dead. So I wasn't a big fan of this one. Uh, just the booking decisions that they decided to do just really, you know, hampered my viewing experience for it. Uh, like, I mean, what you described with Sting does. That sounds intriguing. Do I think WCW would do anything like that? Absolutely not. They no. don't think they know how. They don't know how to develop story, uh, develop characters. I mean, for for goodness sakes, the last character they really uh, made was Goldberg, and that was by accident. Let's be real. They, they just fell into something and really. Oh, hey, this guy hasn't lost in six months. Let's make note of it. 
Um, but yeah, this was uh, pretty disappointing. I'm going to give it a three out of 10. Uh, that might sound pretty harsh, but I mean, everything they did, I, I don't think they did made one great decision on this show. They made a couple of like, you know, Hey, Lenny retaining and the opening six man, like those guys, you know, prevailing. But then everything after that, just the way people were presented and how people, you know, won. I just, this is just, this is a defining moment of WCW to show how far back they truly are in terms of developing and, and having storytelling. Like the WWF is by far way ahead and maybe even WWF isn't great at it, but they are far superior to where WCW is at right now. Bob, before I throw it to Devinder for his score, I'll, I'll pose it to really both of you really quickly. Did this show need a war games or was it, was it fine having a fall brawl event without the war games, given all the uncertainty at the top of the car? Just your quick thoughts on that. I would, I think it needed a war games. And I think back in June, when you're promoting old versus new, this is the culmination of that. And you have, you know, four young guys, four old guys, and the four young guys go over. I'm not, I'm not going to say the revolution to be in that group because I don't think guys like Malenko and Saturn and certainly not Shane Douglas should be thrust into that spot so quickly. But there, there were and are enough young talent, young talented guys to go up against a Hogan Sting, um, Luger in DDP or a Sid like that, that foursome to you you know to to dethrone them and to advance over so having there not be a war games match and knowing that there was a cage match on the nitro before uh that was frustrating because i think with fall brawl maybe the majority of those war games have been were lackluster over the years but war games would have suited this show perfectly in terms of getting your guys over and really not harming four heels i mean one guy would have to lose by submission but in that context of that match is anybody really going to fault like a guy like ddp submitting to somebody in that environment no so i i was personally disappointed that they didn't go with a war games here devinder really quickly did we need a war games here i believe so and i totally agree with bob it could have been an old versus new that could have been the dawning of the new era that they wanted to do post bischoff even if they even if they threw it together I feel like it would have been more entertaining. You could have taken those minutes that were so boring and chin lock heavy, and you could have just put it up with a bunch of just brawling and fighting and entertaining stuff. Uh, like I said, these performers are talented people. It was just bad decisions. And uh, your overall thoughts on the score on the show and a score rating out of ten, please. I mean, when you ask me my overall thoughts, how do how do I follow Bob's <laughs> cliff reference? I mean, you fall off a cliff and they're shooting at you with shit with the car on top of you. Uh, same feeling, just a little less dark than Bob, you know? Um, <laughs> That's usually my trend here. Yeah, it usually is. Yeah. Oh, no, no worries. I accept people <laughs> for who they are, Bob. So you are in my heart. Um, the show wasn't, though. It wasn't. It, I, I, give it, I give it a four, uh, considering some of, that, some of the performances that were in the match between the bells. You know, it was when the last bell hit on most of the matches that I was just disappointed. Harlem Heat match was great. Uh, the Insane Clown Posse match, it was entertaining. It was. And Hacksaw <laughs> saved the night, I feel. Yeah, I, I understand your guys' frustration. I watched this as a bit of a standalone uh, from bell to bell 
which I don't normally do. I'll usually record it and watch it over the course of a couple of days because I usually don't have three hours to sit down and watch a show. But this one as a standalone wrestling event I found was entertaining. Um, and I, up until the main event, I didn't really see anything in ring that was too egregious or that was too offensive. Some of the booking obviously left me scratching my head. Um, and so in the larger context, no, I don't think this was a very fruitful show for WCW. I'm going to differ from you guys that I think that it was wise of them to not shoehorn in a war games match. I don't see any logical pairings uh, that could have really helped anybody. Um, and I think, you know, not having that, uh, not having that here. Uh, maybe saves it for when you do need that uh, that gimmick down the road at next year's fall brawl or maybe sooner than that. Um, but yeah, I was entertained by the show up until the main event. I like Sting's heel turn. I think there's a lot of potential in that potential, the old WCWP word. I'm going to be a little bit higher there. I think this was an average show, entertaining bell to bell with some very questionable finishes. Five out of ten for me. On the 13th of September, we're live from the University of North Carolina. We learned Benoit Malenko will open the show in a rematch from last week's no contest for a shot at the world title. Benoit turns over a superplex to catch Dean for the three in a predictably good match. Next, Gene welcomes Ric Flair back. Flair says he doesn't know where he's been and recaps his heart attack, being institutionalized, etc., Rick says he and Hogan have a date with Destiny. Rick calls Sting the franchise. That springs Sting and Luger out. Sting reminds us how many times Rick stabbed him in the back. Sting asks Rick to leave peacefully and gracefully. Of course, Rick refuses. So Lex attacks Rick. Sting and Lex pummel Rick until Hogan and Brett make the save. Hogan challenges Luger and Sting to a tag match against he and Brett later tonight. Berlin arrives with a cadre of security guards, and Ricky Rackman is back for the Nitro Girl search. Eric Watts, yes, one and the same, versus Disco Inferno is a messy affair won by Disco. After the match, Sid cleans house. Sid cuts an amazing promo about how he's smarter than he looks and how he's untouchable. Silver King versus Norman Smiley ends with Sid picking up two more wins. It's Steve Regal and Dave Taylor versus the Wyndham Brothers. The Rednecks win after a cowbell shot to Regal. Jerry Flynn makes his way to the ring for a match against Prince Ayukea. Instead, it's Goldberg who comes out. Goldberg challenges Sid backstage. Sid just mutters to himself, packs his bag, and leaves. Jerry Flynn attacks Goldberg, and you know how the rest goes. Hugh Morris versus and Brian Nobbs versus Harlem Heat ends in a schmoz when the rednecks interfere. ICP take on Lenny and Lodi. Lodi sports East Carolina gear instead of Duke gear, so he gets no heat. A fan hits the ring, but it's a plant, and the kid who wanted to attack Lenny and Lodi weeks back. That's still going on. (laughs) Heenan says the kid should be hanged. The ending is a cluster that sees the ICP pick up the surprise win. Chris Benoit comes out and takes the stick. He says he knows Sid tapped out to the crossface at Fall Brawl. Chris challenges Sting, but he gets Rick Steiner instead. Chris wins an impromptu match to capture the TV title. Saturn vs. Eddie Guerrero sees Saturn hook Eddie for the surprise three. 
The revolution and the filthy animals go face to face, but nothing happens. Something else that happens is Berlin versus Buff Bagwell, and Berlin wins that. And so we have Michael Buffer to announce Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan versus Sting and Luger. After a short affair, DDP breaks up the fun, which allows Luger to hit Bret in the face with a baseball bat. That looked either very stiff or well worked. Either way, Sting gets the three on Bret, and the show closes. Major Boy! Slick Rick! We go way back, don't we, Rick? Way back, Rick. When I look back over the last 10 years, Rick, and I think to myself, how many times did a nature boy lure me in and then stab me in the back? Well, Rick, we have ourselves a very unique situation tonight because I have a lot of respect for you. You single-handedly put the stinger on the map. You made me what I am. You made me what I am at this very moment. Rick, you are definitely slick Rick, and you are definitely a limousine riding, high-flying, kiss-stealing, Wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Paying you a compliment there, Nature Boy. Hold on, just let me say my piece here, Rick. And you're the dirtiest player in the game, and I learned from the dirtiest player in the game, Rick. So the unique situation, Rick, is because deep down inside, I really do respect you and I love you, Rick. I do. Because it's so unique and I feel that way about you, I'm going to give you the chance to leave peacefully and gracefully. Wait a minute. I think it is a tribute to your manhood that you recognize the fact that I've made you a millionaire, made you famous, made you the most promising, at one time, young star in our sport to being the franchise. Yes, I take credit for all the above, but my friend, that's where we differ. Because when you start talking about me being a limousine riding, jet flying, something again, you sound like my wife talking to me, and that don't work. I will always be a kiss stealing, Woo! Wheeling, dealing, limousine, run! Start up again! It ain't gonna change your life! You got it? And if you and Luger want me to leave, no, wait, you're right. You're right. I'm gonna leave. What? Wait a minute. You're gonna leave? Whoa! <laughs> Not! Not! Hey, Rick, Rick, for the last 10 years, I have been waiting. I have been waiting patiently 
You have been in power, and a lot of others around here have been in power. And 10 years ago, Lex and I were driving down the road saying, when are we going to have the ball and when are we going to have a chance to run with it? Well, we're ready to run with the ball, Rick. Nature boy, you coined the phrase total package. And I also have a lot of respect for you, which is why we're trying to give you this great opportunity to walk out of this ring peacefully. Because diamonds are forever, but your mistake is, Rick, you aren't. Now, Nature Boy, I don't mean to lecture you, because I know you know what's best for your career here in WCW, but this has been the year of graceful exits, of retirements, and I'm talking about Goretzky, and I'm going to put you in their category in our sport. We're talking Jordan, we're talking Elway, and we're even talking Barry Sanders walking out on top. Rick, take those thousand dollar shoes you've been bragging about for the last 20 years we're telling you take a walk this is our time and our interview now you guys are serious aren't you yes believe me we'll all be a lot better off it might take some time just try to deal with this in conclusion let me just say this I was ready to retire because I hadn't watched wrestling in six weeks. Then I turned this show on last week. I said, hell, they can't do it without the Nature Boy. That's why I'm back. <laughs> so, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this, is this issue, is this issue between you and me? Just you and me since you're the champ? Or is he part of this? Because I respect you too, buddy, but you ain't walking over me to get any more notoriety or any more recognition. I respect you, I respect you, but you're gonna have to earn the rest of it. And that's all there is to it. Oh, go! Oh, oh, oh. He never saw it coming, never at all. Cheap shot. And you know we expected this. Luger, after talking about respect and wanting Flair to get out of the sport. Watch this. What you got ready to do to Ric Flair is way over the line, man. 
Everybody knows the wars I've had with this guy, but I got respect for him. And he wasn't gonna get hit with a bat like the hitman and Hogan got hit with. So let me tell you something. Sting and Luger, we were in the back. We saw it going down. And I'll be damned if it's gonna happen anymore. When I said training, prayers, it kicks somebody's ass. When I said kick somebody's ass, the hitman and I talked, and tonight we're gonna show you what kicking somebody's ass is all about. You're not getting out of the building, Luger and Sting, because we're getting you in the ring tonight. We're gonna make it happen, so you better get ready, hitman. One thing, it's high time we righted some wrongs around here, and tonight's the perfect night. So Luger, Sting, prepare yourselves to be excellently executed. Oh, yeah. You know something? Oh, yeah. This one, this one, Chapel Hill, is for me, but this one also is for Ric Flair, because I saw that you're respecting Luger and Flair. Kick your ass! We're gonna kick your ass! We're gonna kick your ass! So we come out of fall brawl, and perhaps uh, to no surprise to some, as soon as as soon as Eric Bischoff is out the door, Ric Flair makes his return. Flair won the four-year war of attrition, and we get Flair back, and he immediately sides with Brett and Hogan. So on screen, Flair, Brett, and Hogan are aligned. Any dirt sheet reader will agree that's a pretty strange faction. And then these guys are ultimately feuding with a heel sting, Lex Luger, and DDP. And for the record, Lex Luger becomes just the total package uh, this month. Um, Devinder, same yes. names, same names at the top of the card, but a Hogan and Flair is faces, Sting and DDP is heels. Does this make any difference to you? Uh, it's just confusing. Like you said, dirty readers, um, would just look at this and just scratch, you know, it's a head scratcher and I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, it's, I just feel like there's, uh, from a fan standpoint, I just feel like there's money to be made and matches between all three and any type of combination. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't really have anything. Uh, I just don't get it. It's just it's just strange. It, it, it is weird seeing these guys align as it is. And Bob, really the only guy on screen who seems unhappy with this angle, and really I'm just going by his body language, is Bret Hart. And so, Bob, of course, I'm hosting, so we're going to give a little bit of time to Bret Hart. Uh, do you like this angle for Bret? And, and, and if he's upset by this angle, is he right to be? I, w- I would have to say so because you can make the argument that out of the five people that this is, or six people, if you want to include DDP, that Brett is like fifth on the totem pole of where the focus is at. So I think your automatic focus here is on Sting, Hogan, Luger, or excuse me, Package, Flair, Hart, and then DDP for the, how the context of, of what I'm seeing is going on. So. You know, Bret Hart comes over from WF, the biggest star that they had, whichever, comes over. And within a year and a half, he's the fifth option of a thrown-together angle 
where a guy like Ric Flair is teaming up with Hulk Hogan when they're, you know, better as rivals. And I know it's like, you know, you guys are saying it's weird and all these other things. But realistically, who hasn't Ric Flair turned on? Oh, or, yeah. You know, feuded with. So, you, know, Hulk, you can't. He, he hasn't turned on Hogan yet. But... Yet. <laughs> Keyword yet. Because I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, but because you know, if you had him aligned with Sting and Luger, we'd probably be having the same conversation of like, how can Sting trust Flair after all the times that he's turned on him? And same thing with Luger. How many times can you trust him from there? So I think with a guy like Ric Flair, he should be treated more like a wild card, similar to you know the the WWF feud, because you know WCW clearly likes to do things from the past. So why not just do it here as well? Uh, you know, like the lead up to SummerSlam '92 when Flair was trying to be like, I'm in your corner, pal, and I'm in your corner, buddy. But he's in neither person's corner. You know, I think that having him be like a wild card type of, you know, which side am I really on uh, to go with the whole who can you trust? You know, can you trust Flair? I don't know. Yeah, you can trust me. It just adds another layer to it. Um, But like the WWE main event scene to me just isn't uh, very exciting. There's nothing to really get um, all pumped up about because judging by what happened here at Fall Brawl, we're not going to get our Brett Hogan title match at Starcade. That Brett was like, I want that to happen. So I'm surprised Brett didn't get involved at Fall Brawl to make sure that he got Hogan, to be completely honest about it. It seemed like maybe Brett was the guy you couldn't have trusted, and you catapult Brett into being one of your top heels. Um, but that's just me. Uh, WCW has different storytelling, not stuff that I necessarily understand. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's Hogan, Flair, Sting and Luger is the focus, and so it's just 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, and, and now into 99. And at some point in all of those years, those four guys have been the focal points of the main event. You know, we have different alignments now, but I, I'm, I'm as concerned as you all that this is just kind of a rinse and repeat and the problem with WCW has been staleness and turning people faces and heels, but it's still being the same people. I don't know if that's going to be enough, but we'll see. We're building the Halloween Havoc on screen. So let's hear how the rest of the month unfolded before we come back and preview Halloween Havoc. On September 20th, Nitro is live from Cincinnati, Ohio. To no surprise, Bret Hart is not here due to his face being smashed last week. Hooventude and Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio and Kidman open the show, but the announcers spend most of the match promoting the new WCW Mayhem game. The heels win in an upset. Afterwards, a bunch of people in the undercard scuffle, and Chavo takes offense at Kidman trying to unmask Psychosis. This leads to a match set up for next week, Mask versus Hair between Kidman and Psychosis. Brian Knobs challenges Goldberg, Goldberg hits the spear and the jackhammer for the quick three. Goldberg calls Sid a little girl for leaving last week and challenges Sid for a match at Halloween Havoc. Gene brings Ric Flair back to the ring. Rick says he's going to slap the paint off Sting's face. Benoit comes out and he wants Sting first. Instead, Rick runs off to find Sting. There's another Nitro Girl search segment, but there's no Ricky Rackman. Shout out to the girl in the red crop top. Sting versus Benoit is next. This is a long, long match, and Benoit gets a lot of offense in. The finish comes when Nick Patrick goes down, Luger hits Chris with the bat, and Sting gets the three. 
Ric Flair, in his loafers, saves Chris, but DDP makes it three on two. Hogan then makes the save for Rick and Chris. Berlin squashes Scott Armstrong. DDP out with Gene. DDP calls the people pathetic and says Ric Flair isn't the man anymore. Evan Courageous and Blitzkrieg go to a finish before Sid makes mincemeat of both of them. Goldberg chants drown out everything. Sid accepts Goldberg's challenge, but he has the caveat that Goldberg can't come near Sid until their match. Saturn and Eddie Guerrero have a return match. The finish is Shane clocking Eddie with a chain. Saturn doesn't like it, but he takes the easy three anyway. Sting vs. Hogan is announced for Halloween Havoc. Gene brings out Hogan. And next week in Atlanta, it'll be Hogan, Ric Flair, and Bret Hart versus Lex Luger, Sting, and DDP. Lenny Lane over Shaggy 2-Dope for the Cruiserweight title. Gene brings out Rick Steiner. Gene asks Rick about Scott. And Scott's here. Scott looks freakish. He says he wants to break Wilt Chamberlain's record and appeals to his freaks to help him. Look it up, kiddos. Scott tells Hogan to kiss his ass and says Hulk will pay a price for leaving the NWO. Booker wins a match over Canyon. And with eight minutes left in the show, DDP makes his way to the ring for his match against Ric Flair. Flair jumps him, and they brawl into the crowd. The match is immediately a schmoz. Lex and Sting attack Rick. Hogan saves Rick and runs wild on the heels. But the heels attack Hulk's knee with the bat. The heels stand strong to end the show. A busy September 27 Nitro is live from Atlanta. We open to the Hulkster pulling up in a limo. He's mopped by children who don't realize it's not 1989. From behind, Sting attacks Hogan. Hogan's down, holding the knee. Heenan teases the hair versus mask match tonight. Tanay cuts into the broadcast and he's backstage with Hogan. Our hero is refusing medical attention. Sting looks on ominously. Ernest Miller taunts the Atlanta crowd ahead of his match with the Crippler. Watch this match just for Sonny Ono's sea green suit. Tremendous. Benoit wins with the crossface. Buff Bagwell over Vampiro with the blockbuster. Suddenly an ominous voice calls out to Tony Schiavone. This is the beginning of the darkness that will fall upon you. Or something like that. A creepy out-of-focus video plays and we're in a funeral home with an open casket. And it's Lex Luger narrating his own funeral. At the graveyard we see Lex's gravesite. Back in the arena, Tony says he's not Lex Luger. But the total package. And it's Liz there, under a hood. She takes to the ring. And in the ring we see Narcissus, the total package. Tony calls this a rebirth live on TNT. For what it's worth, graphics later in the show still refer to him as Lex Luger. But I digress. After the break, Sting attacks Hogan again. Ray wins a criminally short match against Dean Malenko to follow. Hugh Morris versus Goldberg is next. Hugh gets more in than he did two years ago, mostly because Sid hit the ring and attacked Goldberg with a chair. Goldberg kicks out of Hugh's finisher anyway, before winning. No surprise. Hogan is taken away in an ambulance, and there's another Nitro Girl search promo. Gene Oakland has replaced Ricky Rackman in conjunction with Eric Bischoff's firing, it appears. Berlin over Evan Courageous. Brad Armstrong then rescues Evan from a post-match attack, but the evil Germans beat up Brad too. 
Backstage, Goldberg looks for Sid, and David Flair calls Tori. The West Texas Rednecks take on Harlem Heat. The match is a brawl at the Heat win after Stevie beats down Kendall with the tag team belt. And then we see Goldberg on the phone with a phone book open. He's ordering something, and I don't think it's pizza. Rick Steiner over Van Hammer, and then we get Bret Hart back. Bret's with Gene. Gene asks about the six-man tag with Hogan, and Hogan's on the way to the hospital. Bret puts over Hogan and Flair. He says Rick's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, and he's confident that he and Rick can take on Luger, Page, and Sting. Backstage, we learn Tori is hanging out with Kidman and the Filthy Animals. Pathetic David Flair can't catch on to that. Sid tries to leave, but we learn Goldberg took his car keys. And so it's Rey Mysterio versus Perry Saturn. Chavo and his crew hit the ring, and this brings out the Filthy Animals and the Revolution. The focus is on Shane Douglas and Perry Saturn, who are still at odds last week from last week. Backstage, Sid now finds his car, but he doesn't have car keys. As he goes back into the building, a tow truck pulls up, and it looks like that's what Goldberg was ordering. In the semi-main event of Nitro, it's Kidman's hair versus Psychosis' mask. The match is crammed with interference from each guy's crew. Kidman wins, but before he can get the mask off, Travo and Hoovy attack him. No matter, Kidman gets the mask eventually, and Psychosis runs to the back with his hair over his face. Michael Buffer is back to announce the main event of the evening. And it's the heels out first, and we will start three on two with Hogan in the hospital. Brett works the whole match from underneath until he tags Flair. Brett and DDP then brawl outside, and Luger and DDP take out, take out Brett with the bat. Luger attacks Flair with the bat to end the match. David Flair, bless his heart, tries to help, and he takes a pounding too. The ambulance is back, and it's empty. The heels work over the faces until a one-legged Hogan makes the save, and takes out all three of the heels. We then close the show with Sid realizing his car has been flattened. Literally. And so you will have heard the Nitro reads, and we're all up to speed on the events of the month, at least on screen. There's a lot going on on Nitro and Thunder. Fair play to WCW, Nitro at least. And I will say Road Wild and Fall Brawl to a lesser extent were at least entertaining from bell to bell. And the October pay-per-view is, of course, Halloween Havoc. At the end of the month, the top two matches announced are Sid versus Hogan in a rematch for the WCW title and Sid versus Goldberg. Uh, Bob and Devinder, Bob, we'll start with you quickly on Sting versus Hogan again. I can see why they're doing it, but should they be? No. After what you just saw at Fall Brawl, you know, you might as well put a stipulation on it to justify it, but these guys straight up in a singles match in the main event, I'm, I wouldn't be invested or interested in uh, purchasing such an event. There's no draw there for me. Devinder, your quick thoughts on Sting versus Hogan again. Again, with a question mark at the end, uh, there's nothing there. Uh, they already had their straight up one-on-one match. As Bob said, to put a stipulation on it, but that still kind of wouldn't make me tune in. It, if, if Sting is the heel now, you should build up another face and see if you can make a new star out of it. But Hogan again, for what reason? I don't. I don't feel like. I don't feel like it's a presentable match on any card after what happened at Fallbrook. I I would love for this to be the blow off for these two for a long time. 
and maybe we pit uh, or pivot to Sting versus Brett, or maybe even Sting versus Flair one last time. God help me that I've proposed that, and I regret even saying it. But yeah, this needs to be the last we see of Hogan versus Sting in the same ring for a long time, and hopefully that's what happens. But now, yes, here we go. We only have two matches announced at the end of the month, and the other one is Goldberg versus Sid. You will have heard my affinity for the production and execution of this feud, and particularly of Sid over the last month. And I admit, this is my favorite angle of the three companies this month and lately. And fair credit to Sid, this is the best mic work and presentation work of his career. Now, whether the match will be anything, I doubt it. But everything leading up has so far been entertaining. For more context, though, the dirt sheets are reporting, and for whatever they're worth, they're reporting that Goldberg versus Sid wasn't drawing at the house shows. So that's a cause for concern. Uh, we've all discussed uh, kind of throughout this show how much we like the Goldberg versus Sid presentation. Bob, they have to wrestle. The feud has been good, but uh, what are your thoughts overall on Goldberg versus Sid? Sid is the Millennium Man, and, and how do you think this thing goes when it gets in the ring? Oh, boy. Uh, well, if you're expecting Goldberg to carry anybody to a match, this is not going to happen. This is a, this is a situation here where I think they might be going to it too soon. I, I don't know if you really need to be building up Sid in this manner. And I, I would have to think they're going to just feed him to Goldberg. I think at some point, if you know, if Goldberg is to maybe be the world champion again, I'd rather have him be the world champion and Sid be kind of the guy that you're building up to maybe dethrone him. Because I'm just thinking right now, this might be the biggest match that Goldberg has had since Starcade of last year in terms of you know name value. It's something certainly different and fresh. And Sid is, television-wise, I don't know what they're talking about with house shows because, personally, WCW as a, as a brand might not be drawing. Right, um, right. More so than Sid and Goldberg. But as and a brand, Sid's, they're probably... Sid is clearly over in front of the live crowds at all these Nitros and Thunders. Absolutely, Clear. absolutely. I mean, the fact that the guy can come out and ruin Cruiserweight matches and the fans are popping for it and not throwing trash is probably an indicator that they want to see him. Um, but as to how I see it going, I, it's probably going to be similar to... Like, you know, Sting and Hogan in terms of pace and all that stuff because Sid is a slow plotting type of guy. And and then Goldberg probably steam steamrolls through him. Sid, at that point, is probably going to have no value as a heel, so then he'll just tread water until they find their next angle. That's probably I mean, that's probably how it's going to work out. Personally, I would just have Sid beat him. And yes. then And then elevate Sid to maybe winning the title at Starcade or something against... You know, you know, a tweener sting or whichever, and then Goldberg's whole thing for the Millennium could be chasing the Millennium Man. So, I think there's value in the chase of Goldberg actually having somebody that's on his level in terms of height and size, and that's a viable thing. You know, Sid kind of avoiding him at all costs going into the new year. So, uh, but realistically, I can see Sid getting demolished by Goldberg, unfortunately. Well, and, and one of the problems is they, they both waited too long and didn't do this fast enough. And part of that was Sid not in, not coming in for uh, until mid, middle of the year, even later yeah. on. But I think ideally you would have built this to have maybe Goldberg win or Sid win the first match and maybe the Bash at the Beach or Great American Bash. And then they, they can kind of keep apart 
and somehow Goldberg or Sid picks up the world title and then they have the blow off at Starcade and Goldberg gets his win back and wins the title. We're doing a lot of fantasy booking here, but booking is up in the air. Um, and I think that would have been nice. Devinder, uh, what are your thoughts on 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 this feud? And, and do you think Sid should win the first one? I think he should, uh, seeing how over he is, even against Goldberg. I feel like if he were to win, I think it would be pretty, I think it would be uh, received pretty well. Um, back to what I said about any result is a ripple in the water. If Goldberg just goes right through uh, Sid, what does that say about Benoit? You know, Sid uh, got a clean win and it'll just make this young, this, this, person that they should make a star it just make them look worse now um this is something that i feel like they should have waited for like uh like what's been said and i think they should just be kept apart for a little bit but if it's gonna happen i i feel like sid should win considering how popular he really is goldberg can take it he's fine he can take the loss like you said he can take the he can get his win back later on uh i feel like right now sid is the guy yeah, maybe it works out that Goldberg gets or Sid gets the first one. Goldberg gets the rematch at Starcade. Somewhere along the line, Goldberg picks up the belt and they have their blow off at Super Brawl, something like that. But yeah, I I really think that the worst option here is to just feed Gold or feed Sid to Goldberg right away because that sucks all the value out of Sid after this tremendous tremendous build. And I think maybe the fans might, who are cheering for Sid and cheering for Goldberg, might turn on Goldberg if that's the immediate result. Really delicate balance to strike here because, again, Sid is inexplicably over. And I imagine you'll see a split crowd much like Survivor Series 1996. Our last topic, the departure of Eric Bischoff. I'm Eric Bischoff with this week's edition of the WCW Magazine. While Beast Blast, a pay-per-view exclusive coming your way live from the Gulf Coast June 20th, will definitely be heating up this summer. Eight great matchups on this exciting card, including Ron Simmons taking on the tailor-made man and the rookie sensation Marcus Alexander Bagwell challenging the veteran Greg Valentine. And the light heavyweight champion Flying Brian Pillman meets the challenge of Scotty Flamingo. Yes, so we opened the show with news of Eric Bischoff's departure from WCW, and we did discuss it then, and we'll discuss it now. Uh, some more detail on the events leading up to and following his termination on the 10th. The factors were numerous and frankly unsurprising. Bischoff's abrasive attitude, declining ratings, declining house show attendance, perceived or actual cronyism, major losses on short-term fixes, think Kiss, Master P, Dennis Rodman, etc., Long story short, the once-touted executive saw his fortunes turn on a dime, Turner Brass lost faith, Rome is burning, and Bischoff is out. Devinder, do you think the loss of Bischoff will help WCW turn things around? Um, you know what? I was going to defend Bischoff and all of his great ideas, but all of the ideas that you just said kind of made me go, hmm. Uh, for what it's worth, he did turn the company around. Um, yes, that is um, completely fair. Completely fair. He he, yeah, he may have not been consistent, but some, he had some hot stuff going on. And um, I just think he got excited. I think he got excited after everything worked. And he goes, okay, cool. What if we bring in a basketball player? We bring in 
some rappers and we bring in a rock. I, I think he was just um, maybe not drunk with power, but maybe he was buzzing. You know, like I think he was like, man, this is a good night. I'm going to see how far I can keep this going. And I think that's where it fell flat. And that's where the, you know, the ship started turning the, the other way and got hit by the iceberg. I'm trying to get as dark as Bob here. But um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the ship sank. And uh, I think it was good for business. And I think uh, I'm not going to say that WCW is going to thrive because they have people writing in the back that don't know what to write. Um, I think right now maybe a, a Bischoffless company is maybe better for the company at this at this point right now but the body of work i think speaks for how talented he is as an executive bob by the end of the month uh, really not much had changed on tv um at least as far as storylines go it seems to be all all ships ahead uh regardless of the change but same question to you do you think that WCW needed to separate from Eric Bischoff to have a chance to turning the ship around? I'm going to, I'm going to say no. And give it, give it to me. And the reason is I'm going to kind of explain it here. Bischoff thrived very well when he had no expectations. The goal was to make, to, to lose as little money as possible. And he lucked into getting Hulk Hogan and he turned it around. And whether it's, you know, taking angles from Japan, whichever you want to say, the NWO creation happens. And then that leads to 83 weeks of WCW being the top wrestling brand on television. So he's, he was good when it came to like, I need, I need to like prevail. And how am I going to become, how am I going to become number one? The issue with him was that he couldn't stay number one. He couldn't adapt uh, there's an inability of creating stars, as I had noted. I mean, realistically, the only star that he has made in the last couple of years is Goldberg, which is a monumental star for sure. But there's no real depth behind Goldberg. It's not like there's any characters coming in. WWE is much more reality-based in terms of characters comparatively. But I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he needs to be gone. Maybe a hiatus to maybe refresh himself to get back into his business, to take back control. Because now that there's a committee of four or five people, I feel like the television product could become more disjointed because there's not one person at the top. So if you have a guy like Hogan who's like, oh, no, brother, we can't do that. Or we have, you know, Kevin Nash who's like, oh, but we have to do it because, like, he's my buddy. Uh, that might come into a problem. And I think with Bischoff, in terms of like producing and all these things, there's value behind him to maintain his role. Um, maybe, you know, the decisions that he's made in terms of like bringing, bringing in various celebrities uh, were just misguided. You know, when it, when it came to sticking to just professional wrestling, I think Bischoff did a fine job. And I, what the issue with WCW is maybe his subordinates. So like Kevin Sullivan, and I don't know who else is technically writing for WCW, but maybe there needs to be a revamping in that. Maybe you need to have a guy that comes in that doesn't have a loyalty to a variety of different men. Uh, they need to have a mindset of young is the direction to go in. And if Bischoff kind of takes himself away 
or if he had have taken himself away from maybe the creative standpoint and, and gotten one singular guy to dedicate himself to that brand, uh, it might have been an end result. I don't know who else could come in that could do a better job than Eric Bischoff. Because certainly in the years past, whenever Turner's put in a an executive from a different brand that was folding, it was the drizzling shits. And they were losing money hand over fist. And if that were to happen in this situation, is this going to get substantially worse? So I and I'm I mean, I don't know Eric Bischoff, but I'm sure he would be like the guy on the Titanic. He wants if this ship is going to sink, he wants to be on that and he's gonna own it. And I think to be taken off of that um, is probably, a di- I would imagine, is a disappointment for him. So I would have kept him around and, uh, and see where, where it could go. I mean, there is, there is positives in this product. I mean, the, you, like Eric, like you mentioned, I would say the last three months or so of Nitro has been not awful. It's, you know, been, it's been entertaining. I think it's been unfairly maligned at times because the pay-per-views haven't lived up to expectations. That that's exactly their problem. And to bring a Smoky Mountain reference to you, Smoky Mountain was the same way. Their television was phenomenal, but when it came to their end result supercards, boiler, those are chore to watch because it's not very good. But in a land and in a business where everything is television, that's your bread and butter. Uh, I feel like WCW in that regard, compared to earlier in this year, you could say he's on an upswing. So this might be a situation where they had a rough patch for a year and then Bischoff could have came up with a, a new idea and a new marketing. And the same, like what you mentioned earlier, he had, he had ideas, you know, with the, the new year's evil and all these other things. I mean, we won't know how that plays out. So I, I personally would, I probably would have gave, given him the, through 2000. If you can't figure it out in the new millennium, then you have to find someone else to, to write the ship, but it might've been too early. It might, if he's if he's still there, fall brawl like we've mentioned a couple of times, could have been presented drastically different. Maybe he has the revolution going over, and you and you're building from there, and they and they flipped it because he's gone. I we obviously we don't know that, but I I think that he should have definitely gone into the new millennium as the head of WCW. Uh, I think the point to respond to both of you to Devinder's point about. Let's not forget all the good. I mean, WCW wiped the floor with the Fed for, like you said, 83, 84 weeks, however long it was. And the ratings were tight uh, basically through the end of 95 all the way through uh, essentially WrestleMania 14. So Bischoff is the first guy who was able to mount a sort of national uh, response to the WWF. First guy ever to do it. So I think... Nothing in wrestling is forever, and so I don't think there's any doubt that if he wants it, there will be a spot in some company for Eric Bischoff um, in the wrestling business. Now, maybe it's back to WCW. Maybe it's up to the World Wrestling Federation. Maybe he even teams up with Happy Heyman and helps him get the business side of ECW in order. That's an intriguing prospect if the two could get along. It's exactly what Heyman needs. Just throwing it out there. But anyway. Yeah, I think all the good Bischoff did won't be forgotten. And I think a lot of this bad maybe will be. And I think Bischoff has a, a rightful excuse for a lot of the stuff. Now, he created his own excuses by giving these guys creative control, guaranteed contracts, too many days off, all the things we've been talking about and reading about 
for the past three or four years. But there is no doubt that Eric Bischoff, if he wants to be, will be back in the wrestling business at some point. Um, and I think he could be used as a guy to come in and turn around the fortunes of a company or come around, come in and give a, a two or three year kick charge. And then he hits the road. That might be his legacy in this business is a guy who comes in as kind of a fixer, turns things around and then hands it over to somebody who can keep the ship steady for a long period of time. We all wanted to consider him as the next Vince McMahon, but the problem is nobody in wrestling history is Vince McMahon. Eric Bischoff was Eric Bischoff, and he reached his peak. He was given too much power, and he imploded. It's not the first time we've seen it with a wrestling company or with WCW. So, yeah, while this is the end of Eric Bischoff and WCW and Turner are right to have uh, cut the ties, in my opinion, based off of what we've seen overall in the last year, especially with, and we didn't talk about this, how chaotic it seems backstage. It just seems like an absolute mess. On screen is fine, but it seems like getting there is such a chore. Maybe everybody just goes their separate ways, refresh their batteries, and we come back in the new millennium and Bischoff pops up somewhere else or back in WCW. But for now, that's the end of Eric Bischoff, and that's the end of our show for this month. Devinder Vargas, great job, sir. Thanks for coming back. Do you have anything uh, to plug? I do. I uh, I mean, last time we uh, spoke about how I was doing wrestling training, and um, I, I, I ended that for it was it was good for a little bit. I did it for about a year and a half. I learned a lot of things. I met a lot of great people, and who are going to move on to do great, great things. Uh, they're called Wrestling Revolution. You can look them up on Facebook, Official Wrestling Revolution, on uh, YouTube, W R S T X. But I have now been investing a lot of time into my YouTube channel. I do a lot of gaming and on-camera interviews. I was fortunate enough to uh, interview Coco Beware, uh, Doug Bradley, who's Pinhead from Hellraiser, a couple of the original Power Rangers, a lot of voice actors from video games. I have a huge event coming up in November where I'm going to be interviewing Sergeant Slaughter along with other celebrities. Um, I do the gaming. I do WWE a, uh, a lot. Resident Evil, Red Dead Redemption 2. It's called DNC Digital. Uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe, please, everybody. Like, comment. Um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy what I'm doing, and uh, I could just only hope that uh, I bring you guys good content from here and now on. It sounds like a hell of a project. It sounds great, and and here's where we demonstrate where I am truly the digital media novice uh, of the three of us. When I throw to Bob Calling to tell you about all of his exploits outside of this show. Yeah, I have my own podcast with my buddy Austin Skinner. We uh, it's called Icopod, and we've uh, been doing. Raw reviews starting with the first one in 93. We're up to uh, SummerSlam 94. We just did our first live watch for the uh, normal series. We usually have bonus episodes of live watches, but this is the first one for the normal series. So Icopod, it's on iTunes, you know, all the listening services there. Uh, if you want to go to the website, it's just icopod.podbean.com. So I know a lot of people like to use that one as well. And then I also I have my own website, wrestlingrecaps.com. It's been going on for 10 years, so as you can imagine, there's probably way too many wrestling reviews and columns on there at this point. But uh, you know, you can read about a review from Fall Brawl 1999 on there, the TV leading up to it. It's not necessarily by me. There's been plenty of people that have uh, contributed to it, uh, and I appreciate all that. So uh, WrestlingRecaps.com and Icopod is where you can also find me. Fabulous. Awesome. And I am at Modern Day Lawyer on Twitter. I don't have any other shows, though. 
The main show account for us is at Wrestling20YRS on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Um, and we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. Just a couple bucks a month, early access to shows and bonus shows. It's at this point, whenever I get a chance to host, where I implore our loyal listener base, ever-growing but still as loyal fan base, leave us a review, five stars or whatever, five stars preferably if you like us and you're listening to this point of the show, on all your favorite podcast apps, and this is very important, if you're reviewing on iTunes, and I think the majority of you are, it is very, very helpful if you leave a comment. Tell us who your favorite wrestler is. Tell us who your least favorite host is, unless it's me. Um, tell us anything, but if you want to give us that five-star review, leave a comment because that helps our numbers tremendously. Thank you in advance for everybody doing that. Other volumes this month include the WWF and ECW, and this has been WCW for September 1999. For Davinda Vargas, for Bob Colling Jr., I am Eric Landstrom. We'll see you in October.